Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, party goers, and welcome to another episode of the Sticky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And it's not coincidental that our names are the last since Mary is my daughter. Wait, you uh, just said since our names are the last. Did I say that our names are the last? <laughs> but our last names are the same? It'd be more coincidental if our first names are the same. It seems yeah. completely... Well, I think that I don't think that's so much coincidental as egotistical. That I you have my same last name? No, that you... I, I mm, Maybe I'm being mean, but you know when people name their kids the same name as them, or yeah. like a variant sure. of their name, like your names. Your name is my my plan to call you Davidina. <laughs> yeah, like that. Okay. Or like yeah, like something like that, right? Yeah, Davet. Davet. Yes, exactly. Or like someone named Stephen, their daughter's name is Stephanie. Okay. And you're like, why did you do that? There are other names, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't quite understand that myself. I don't understand the the need to like have a you know, an Edward Edward uh, Drucker the Third. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. The only one of those I understand is a friend I used to have who was the fourth. Okay. And he wanted to name his kid the fifth. Yeah. Just to keep it going. Sure, sure. Because like I feel like at that point you're like, okay, you know, there's four of us now. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing, you know. Like it was like his great great grandpa who started it. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a. I guess it is sort of a, a tribute to yourself in a way, but also a, a shows a, a like a a, li- a line of the family, you know, like your. But I mean, isn't that what last names are for? No, because they can just, they can be anyone's last names. It's specifically like Clarence Williams the third, who's the name right. Clarence is being passed on, it. Right. and it shouldn't be. No, by that point, not. by the time you get to the third generation. Most most of those names are like so out of the yeah. out of date. But. Well, I mean, his name was Robert. Mm-hmm. Robert, I think, is a pretty good one. It's pretty timeless, and it also has a lot of diminutives that work, right? Rob, Bob, mm-hmm. Robbie, Bobby. Yep. You know, you got options. Clarence. Sure. What are your nickname options for that? Claire, Clary, Rince, mm. Ren. Well, I have a name that I mean, it does shorten to Dave. And that's Clancy pretty normal. is Clancy a diminutive of Clarence? You got me. Probably. Probably. Clancy's not bad, but still. But still. Then you have to name your kid Clarence. <laughs> no offense to any Clarences out there listening. <laughs> to one of you. To that <laughs> to our ninety year old man uh listening yep. listenership. I was just gonna say that okay, my dad's name is Robert. Yep. And he's known as Bob. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how I guess he's used to it now, but it seems weird to me that if you're you're given a name like Robert. Yep. And then you are never you were never the rest of your life like any. You're just sort of close to your name after that. What do you mean? Well, like Bob. Yeah. Like Bob and Robert. Like Rob and Robert. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But Bob and Robert. Yeah. Like Bob should be a diminutive of Bobbert, okay. not of Robert. Right. You know what I mean? No. And so, like my dad's name is Robert, but he yeah. will never. He's never to anyone. He's never like anything Rob. that's like like his name. Well, Bob is like Robert. It is not. It's Bob. It starts with a completely different letter. Well, that's yeah. like saying that Steve and the name Eve are the same. They're not. Okay. Well, they are. They're they two rhyme. different names. They do they rhyme. They share the same <laughs> they, letters. They, they have share similar a lot of the roots. Same letter- letters. They have similar roots, but they're they, not the same. They're, similar roots, they're not the same but, at all. Yeah. 
Like I just, I just think it's kind of a strange thing, like that my dad has grown up his whole life and has never been called, besides when his mom was mad at him, probably. Yeah. Has ever been called by his full, like actual full name. Right. I mean, I'm sure he's like a name that's beside his name. I mean, I'm sure he has people who in life have known him who have called him Robert, and people who have called him Rob or Robbie or Bobby. Right, like that's the nice. I don't thing know. About- I've never known anyone to call my dad anything but Bob. Right. He's oh, he's Bob to his entire family. Yeah. And he's Bob to all his co-workers, or when yeah. he was when he was before he retired. Right. Like he was never. I guess he was Robert Dedrick in his like business correspondence. Yeah. But then when he when he met you, he said, you know, hi, I'm Bob, and then yeah. he, he called him Bob. Because mm-hmm. that's how he was brainwashed. Well, I don't think that's brainwashing. He was totally it's brainwashed. A, it's a right? nickname. He accepted this, this complete ridiculous. It's a nickname. That's what nicknames are. Yeah, but I don't. My name is David, and yeah. I'm okay with Dave. Yeah. I don't really care either way. Dave right. or David is fine. But you won't like to be called Vid. I don't want to be called Vid, <laughs> or I don't want to be called, or I don't want to be called Nave, right? Or Babe, and people yeah. go, it's the same, and I'm going like, <laughs> Babe is not the same as Dave right. or David. Yeah. Oh, how would I call you, Favid? It is not the same. <laughs> well, I mean. The reason names like Robert have so many diminutives is because they've been popular for so long Mm -hmm. and they were so, so popular. Like, I think it's hard for us now today to understand how popular, popular names were historically, you know? Okay. Like, multiple people in a family, multiple children in a family would be given the same first name sometimes. Yeah. Because they would just run into names because they're having so many kids. Like, and they didn't have, like, baby name books or the internet or, and, like, for a long time it was considered, like, in in Christian, in Christianity, it yeah. was considered blasphemous to name your kids' names from the Bible. That okay. did change, like, yeah. about 500 years ago. They could start using the name Mary. Yeah. It was okay. We st- In English-speaking culture, we still can't use Jesus, which they do use in, like, um, Latin, like Latin yeah. cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so you, you couldn't even, like, open up a book like that and, like, be like, oh, well, here's a name idea, you know? And, like, reading was... And even then, reading was something that was not available to a lot of people. So, like, where do you come up with names? Just from the people you know. Actually, think about it, Mary. Yeah. Um, Latin culture still can't use the name Jesus in their uh, names. Why? I don't know. Could they change it to Jesus? Well, that's just a so pronunciation. That, no, no. You think that. Oh, they say Jesus when they're reading the yeah, Bible, yeah, but then the Bible. they say Jesus when they're talking to the... It's yeah. a, that's just like a way to di- distance themselves exactly, from it. Exactly, exactly. Where they're like, we can use this name, yeah. but not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. Yeah, that's why they also say Mary, but yeah. they only use the name Maria sure. to distance it further. And that's one reason why Dr. Jesus became Dr. Seuss. Right, of course. Because it was too shocking. Yes, for, for English-speaking you cultures. Think him, you think him drawing vaguely Oriental people, and mm-hmm. to think I saw it on Mulberry Street was shocking, Mary. Yeah. When he was started off as Dr. Jesus, that yes. was like the crime of the century. Yeah. In its day. Well, yeah, because at that point, too, people were like, ugh, doctors are terrible. <laughs> and then this guy comes along, Dr. Jesus, and they're like, you can't say that, you know, Jesus Christ. You can't associate him with doctors. Exactly. Doctors? <laughs> they work with blood. Disgusting. Blasphemous. <laughs> All right, so let's get this uh, this uh, cart back on the tr- the trail here. And okay. uh, I just want to say, oh, okay. I like nicknames. Right. I've always been really sad that I didn't have a nickname for my name. You did have a nickname for your name, Mare. Yeah, Mare is a Mare is just a shortened version. It's not like a nickname. I like people who have like a nickname. How about like Mare Bear? No, not at all. Like, people that have, like, a nickname that they go by all the time, right? How about like, Doll? Your mom likes to call you no. Doll? Um, like, I had a friend whose name was Jillian, <laughs> yeah. but she went by Jill all the time. Yeah. I like that. Oh, I, I see. wanted to have that. Where when you're, like, friendly with someone, you're yeah. like, you can call me this name to show that we're friends. Mm-hmm. 
because we have, we possess a level of closeness that other people don't have. And you can show that by this thing that you call me that's sure. shorter. Can I suggest a name that you can have no, your friends call you? You can't. No? Nope. But like, like the name like Matilda, okay. Tilly from that is a really cute nickname, yep. right? It doesn't start with M. Yeah, I know. But it's cute. I guess. It is. It's not the same as their name though. It is their name though. Tilly? Yeah. It's a nickname. Yeah, it's their name. I was going to suggest that you call yourself uh, Snoopy. I, think that, I don't like that. That's a cute name. It's, it's not. Like, it's a cute dog from a cartoon. Not, but it's not like, it doesn't, have any, it doesn't have any connection to my name though, or to me as a person. Hmm. You know what I mean? But you like Snoopy. Yeah, he's fine. There you go. Oh, I don't think, yeah, he's fine is really <laughs> grounds for a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you agreed with me. Well. He's fine. It's fine. That's what I heard. Anyway, okay. Snoopy, let's uh, oh, well, no, let's get this. Not gonna, <laughs> not gonna go along with this. <laughs> let's get this cart, <laughs> cart back on the road. Yeah, <clears throat> would take incredible will for you to not go along with it, Mary. Would it? I don't know if you have that kind of willpower. I think I do. I think if I started calling you Snoopy, you'd have a hard time. I think if I got up and it. left right now, <laughs> then you wouldn't be able to call me Snoopy. That's true. And that would be. But you'd have to get up and leave. Yeah, and that would give me back like three hours of my of my Sunday. <laughs> Uh, no, it wouldn't, because you feel so guilty about no. it. No, you'd just be like, you can enjoy yourself. No, I'd just go inside and watch TV. I know, but you wouldn't be enjoying yourself. You'd be sitting there, kind of stewing over it. No, I, I think I'd be fine. Feeling pretty bad. I'd be like, whatever. Dad made his own bed, you know. That's <laughs> what I would say to myself. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. Um, you know, getting white spot later and be able to look forward to that. <laughs> let's let's put this cart back on the, the road again okay. after you heaved it over to the edge again. Mm. I mean, despite what people might think at this point, this is actually a music show. We come here to talk about music. Is it? Yeah. I thought we talked about names. <laughs> well, apparently you did. Well, well, I think I'm in the wrong room. You are. In the wrong, I came into the wrong studio. <laughs> the wrong Stusty studio. Yeah. We talk about music. And so um, we just finished our novelty song a couple Mixed. of shows. Yep. Yeah. The final mixtape of novelty songs. And I think that went over pretty well. People, yep. people seem to enjoy it. The first one really felt like everyone was mad at me. And then the last couple have been like, oh, we get it. We get it now, Dave. The sec- I think this. I think for me, I liked this last one the best. Mm. The first one, the second most. And then the second one, the least. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway. And uh, yeah, was, so that was fun. And so now we're, we're back on a different track, not the track that back we're on for the show. Regular music. But now we're back on the regular music track. Yeah. This is the second disc of, uh, of uh, songs that I did for Nick Owen. A British listener, I think he was a completely Beatles fan, I, I don't think he's a Sneaky Dragon fan, so he'll never have heard this show, and that's fine. So we can make fun of him if you want to, Mary. I'm not did going to. Did you offer to do the mixtape thing on Completely Beatles as well? Uh, I did. Uh, the show was over by that point, but I, I offered on our Facebook page. Oh, Facebook page. page. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so we did get some, some bites out of that. But I don't, I don't think many, there's not, I mean, everyone who listens to the Sneaky Dragon by this point, mm-hmm. came to it via <laughs> either... Completely through, Beatles. Through Completely Beatles for the most part, or, or, or another sidecast. That's basically the idea of those shows, is like they're sneaky gateway drugs to Sneaky right, Dragon. Right, right. Where they're like, oh, I like Tintin. And they're like, oh, I guess I'm listening to these two dummies forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, not forever. There's, I think there's a time limit how long you can listen to Sneaky Dragon. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, I've had a time limit on most of the podcasts I've mm-hmm. listened to. Yeah, that's that's how it goes. Yeah. And then you're after a while, you're like, oh, I get it. These guys talk yeah. about chocolate bars every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Out. Yep. So we're not going to talk about chocolate bars today, then, Mary. We're going to discuss disc two. Uh huh. Well, side one. Yes. Disc two of, okay. of Nick Owen's mixtape. And like I say, he was English, and so. Presumably is still. 
it's hard to well yes, I mean, it right. he is a, he is he's, he's, a, he's a british dude and so it's hard to make uh mixtapes for people from a different country to a, like england because then you're like gee should i put english songs on here because hmm. don't they know it better than i do i'm gonna put a song in here they're gonna be like yeah great dave this was a number one hit here right don't know if you knew that I'll be like, I didn't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we don't have. Well, we share the same music. Like, yeah. there's bands in England that people in in um, the Americas, Americas, have never never heard of. Mm-hmm. Even super popular groups. Yep. Like, like the Beatles, for example. Well, Beatles. No one ex- here has ever heard of them. <laughs> yeah. They're so popular in England, yeah. but they never even stepped foot on American soil. Sure, that's right. The Beatles are an example. But I would, you know, seriously, like there are big bands in England, like the Shadows. Mm-hmm. They just never really crossed the maybe, pond. Maybe a song like Apache or something like that, but most most of their music, and then for sure, like by nowadays, no one here knows who they are. Like, you know, like maybe I know some... you're joking with the Beatles, but the fact no. that you're joking with the Beatles shows that you know who the Beatles are. Yes, you know that th- that's a band from England that you everyone know, has, knows. Everyone knows the Kings, mm-hmm. the Who, bands like that. Yes, but then there's lots of bands like Wet Wet Wet, for instance, who were huge in England in the in the 90s, I think. And mm-hmm. you know, who are they, Mary? You don't know. I don't know. Yeah, only like take that. Yeah, only Robbie like, Williams. Only like music weirdos. Yeah, know them. So, although I keep saying Robbie Williams, and people tell me that he's really popular here. Isn't he that guy? And has be, a day I'll... named after him. Has a day? <laughs> yeah. Since Robbie Williams Day, everyone's like, "Oh, it's Scottish oh, that's day. right, no, that's <laughs> right, Robbie Williams, exactly." <laughs> yeah. 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 We all play his song. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what the song's called. Everyone's like, "We're gonna eat some haggis and wear plaid and Millennium. listen to a Robbie Williams song." His song "Millennium" that uses the the, the sample of uh. Um, the James Bond theme for You Only Live Twice. Hmm. And the first time you hear it, you go, oh, this is a really good song. And then you go, oh, wait a second, this is someone else's song. <laughs> Boo! Anyway, um, so this is just an example of, like, it is a, it's a kind of funny. So, I'll, although I'm hesitant to use British bands, I did use British bands for this mix because, you know, that's kind of where my heart lies in British music in the 60s and, and throughout all time, you know. I just, to me, that's where the great music lies, and I've had friends who think, you know, think I'm a uh, dodo for thinking that because they're super like, you know, yeah, America music, you know, like garage yep. rock and stuff like that. That's the best thing yeah. ever made. Or Americana, like the magazine Uncut. Yeah, those guys really love that stuff, you know. And they were advertising a new CD on on their Twitter thing, and it was it was called Ambient um, Ambient Americana, and I was like, this sounds like tor- torment. <laughs> I'm gonna have to sit and listen to this whole CD. Oh my god, lucky me. But I'll still listen to it. Well, it's a job that I have, you know, so I have to listen to it. Okay. I just feel obliged to listen to it. You never know. Like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, an Americana CD, (laughs) and I'll put it on, and and there's a song there I like, and I'm like, okay, got me. You got me. Right. Anyhow. Anyhow. Let's go on. Let's go on to Nico One, Mare. Okay. What's our first song? So our first song is, is, um, where did I put my notes? Oh, they're right over here. The first song, Mary, is a band that... I feel is underappreciated, particularly by listeners to the show and everyone in my life. This is felt with uh, a song. It was a single only. It, was, it wasn't an album, but in a different version. So this is the single version of the song. It's called Sunlight Bathed the Golden Glow. Uh, and it came out in 1984. So let's give a listen to this a song. Here we go, everyone. Yeah, but you don't 
right, and we're back. This was a scary year for me. It's the year I graduated from high school. Well, uh-oh. The year I was booted out of my cushy life yep. into reality. Yes. It's uh, a scary year. It's a scary, it's a scary year. Some people look forward to it. They're all like, we're going to graduate. I'm like, oh, what are you, crazy? <laughs> but what do you think of the song? I'm like, Peter Pan, come get me. <laughs> 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 I live on that island. Um, I liked it. Oh, yeah! Wow! Despite the very eighties singing, <laughs> yes, I liked it. Oh, that's good. That's um, good. I liked the the chorus, mm-hmm. and I thought that the instruments were too fun. Too fun. They were too fun. <laughs> like what? How do you mean? Like you like the guitar, like the dee 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 yeah. dee. Yeah, that's good. And then the bass, boom boom yeah. boom 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 boom. Like that, boom. and then the the chorus was very mm-hmm. joyful. Yeah, and yeah. even though the like core singing, yeah, yeah. was very eighties. Yes. Thought that the the it was like a, there's like a there is a very specific eighties style of singing. Well, certainly, and and to Felt's defense, I would say that they were kind of the ur '80s band of that sort. Like yeah. they were the kind of the template that other bands mm-hmm. worked worked I'll off. I'll never of. forgive them for they, it. <laughs> you know, they started in '78 or something like that. I don't mean they weren't signed right away. They weren't making music till about four years later. They think their first album came out, "Crumbling the Antiseptic Beauty." I believe that's their first album. I just love their. I love their. Well, let's call it pretentiousness, let's be honest. I just love that about them, though. I love their kind of, you know, whether it's real or not, their bookish stance, as if you picture them, you know, with their glasses holding a... a um, I remember getting on uh, the bus one time, and there was a guy who I went to high school with getting on the bus, and he was, you know, dressed in a very new wave way, and he was reading, I think, Aldous Huxley's Eyeless in Gaza, and he had that, like, prominently displayed as he's walking up the aisle, and I was just like, you got it, man. Right on. I dig your look. Yeah. Carry that book proudly. <laughs> and I just feel like that that's just kind of part of that time period, that scene, you know, like obviously Morrissey is an, another example of that, of the sort of idea of the literate rock star, whether it's true or not. And it's possible that, you know, Morrissey has never read a book in his life and it's just merely a, a pretense, you know, and that yeah. it's as real as the, uh, as the uh, hearing aid he wore during his, uh, you know, the, uh, how, um, I guess, hat full of hollow has a picture of him on the in, in, inside and he's got this uh, hearing aid that he's wearing oh really yeah huh. that he didn't require but he was a you know he was a callback to the 50s singer johnny ray hmm. who was was actually deaf hearing impaired yeah was hearing impaired and wore wore a uh, interesting a hearing aid you know just things like that where you're just kind of like i'll pretend i'm disabled this is the sort of things like this will make me more interesting yeah look at me i wear cardigan sweaters and i'm interesting huh like um the MTV TV show called Look at me I'm interesting. No. How oh, what was that show called? What was that show called, Dad? What was it about? It was about these two girls who live in Austin, Texas okay. and at their school it's like everyone who is there, like the people who are like popular are like weird. Yeah. You know? Like they're not it's not like the jocks and the cheerleaders are popular. It's like the popular people are like the one guy's like a moody artist okay. and there's like a gay guy or whatever. I don't know, whatever. What, I don't know what this the, In the first episode, one of the girls decides she really wants to be popular this year. Yeah. And so the first day she comes to school and pretends to be, to have gone blind over the summer. <laughs> so she's wearing these like really hokey glasses and like <laughs> reaching her arms out in front of her like she can't see anything. And then someone throws a frisbee at her and she catches it. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, that's that. But then her, she was like, oh, I'll pretend to be gay and be gay, gay pretend to be gay with my best friend yeah but then her best friend realized that she actually has feelings for her 
friend yeah. and so they're pretending but though for it's, it's real for the one girl but it's not real for the the other girl she just yeah. wants to be with this popular guy yeah yeah and the whole time you're like oh that girl's so frustrating she's <laughs> such a bad person <laughs> what was it called i can't remember oh well sounds interesting it was a good show it mm. went on for like two or three seasons mm. it's on crave now i think okay i'll maybe I'll watch it one of these centuries yeah yeah so 1984 for felt was was actually a pretty busy year for the band so they released uh, a mostly instrumental album called Splendor of Fear in February of that year. And then in October, they released the album... Oh, it's called Faking It. Ah, I can't believe that you're just talking about someone faking it in so many different ways you couldn't think of the... I know, right? The the well, show. because Eve used to watch an MTV show called Awkward. Yeah. And I had oh, okay. that show stuck in my uh, head, that okay. name. That, anyway. That's suitable as well. Yes, continue. Uh, so yeah, so in October... They put out an album called Strange Idols, Patterns, and Other Short Stories. See what I mean about pretentious? And <laughs> so, and so uh, now the, the first three albums that they did as a band were all produced by this guy named John A. Rivers, who had a, his own studio in Leamington Spa, which, by the way, is a great name for a town. Leamington Spa. Love it. I'd love to live in a town called Leamington Spa. How about you, Mary? Yeah, that's an interesting name for a, for a place. Mm-hmm. And what? so he had a studio there called Woodbine Studios. What were you going to say about Leamington Spa? What? Uh, I was just wondering why it was called that. Why, sorry, it's, I don't why know. spa was in the name? Uh, maybe it's like Bath, the town of Bath, where it's... Uh, oh, it was like a bathing area like for a, Romans because yeah, they had a like, hot spring there? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe. you know, because it seemed like London or England at that point for the Romans is basically like a vacation destination yeah. that you went to to, to take rests, water, water-based cures. <laughs> so maybe yeah. Leamington Spa was trying to, to cash in on that. Or... Just cash in on the general idea that if you right. if you go to somewhere where there's water, yeah. which even was popular in like the Victorian era. Yeah, well, yeah, they're like, oh, let's go to the seaside that's to right. cure your pneumonia. That's right. Because if there's one thing that's good for pneumonia, it's going to be those cold, those cold ocean winds. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> on those pebbly beaches. Yeah. Come on, go have some fun out there in the rocks. Yeah, okay, let's go swimming. Oh, no, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, he produced the first three albums, a guy named John A. Rivers, and then the band would then move on to a new producer, uh, John Leckie, who's a very well-known producer, especially to people like me who are, you know... Nerds. Nerds, but I just mean also like fans of 1980s music. He mm, was like yeah. a big part of that, produced produced like the best albums by the fall of that of that time period. Okay. The Wonderful and Frightening World of, Ben Sinister, This Nation Saving Grace, mm-hmm. uh, Cruises Creek EP, mm-hmm. lots of stuff. Cool. Oh, so some of the best stuff was all produced by... By Mr. Leckie, but he also worked on the, this uh, fall album, Strange Idol Patterns. But before that happened, Rivers produced um, what I think is an uncharacteristically straight-ahead song for Felt, because this song is like so, so, like almost like it's almost like the most commercial thing they ever did. Yeah, because well, basically, I usually don't like Felt very much. Sorry, was that? I usually don't like Felt very much. Exactly, but I like this song yeah. because it was pretty like you know, it's just like a poppy, fun song. And I feel like Rivers. Did something that maybe um, Lawrence, the lead singer, uh, songwriter, guitarist in the group, didn't like very much was that basically a lot of his vocals are buried underneath the singing of a of um, of the, the like woman the singer, chorus, yeah. yeah, which was the... sung by this name, a lady named Rose McDowell who sang in uh, a group called Switchblade Sisters at that time, a mm. duo. And I, I don't think they put their album out. Their album did come out in 1984, but I don't know if it was out when they did when she did this song. With him, and I don't know what the connection was between them. If she was friends with Lawrence or friends with Rivers, Rivers never produced her, so I, I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, she adds. I think it's pretty, str- like, pretty strong vocals, and they're pretty high in the mix. So it's almost like a co-singing thing. And I don't. 
it's it's just interesting to me. And then um, yeah, the whole like and the bass part is so pop is so like so catchy that Robert Smith stole it three years later for oh, a song. Really? Yeah, I think it's called Heaven Is Here or something like that. Hmm. It's on um, Kiss Me Kiss Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me the album. Kiss me, it? kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I think it's only three times. I might have said kiss it four me, times. Kiss me, kiss me. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Kiss me, kiss me. It's on that album, and yeah, he. Um, if you hear that album for the first time, you're like, well, you hear the bass thing, boom, 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 right. boom, boom, boom. And you're boom, like, boom. hey, hey, wait a second. <laughs> and maybe that's you know, it's it's not like it's the least common bass part in the world. You could probably find another song that has that same bass part. So, but um, yeah, it just seems. And then the strings in it and stuff like that. It's all it's all really like it's super produced. Which is weird because it's, it's still it's still with Cherry Red Records, who are a pretty, you know, a record company that kept it pretty close to the bone. Let's put it that way. They didn't have a lot of money to throw around at their artists. So the idea that you're paying for for Rivers and a guy named Paul Brooks to arrange and then hire, you know, strings and have a a, a session singer and, and and you know, it seems like it seems like it's um yeah, it seems like it would be kind of kind of expensive. No, I'm not saying through the roof, but just kind of expensive. Yeah. And then you have to bring these strings down to Leamington Spa as well. So maybe right. maybe you lure them with the idea they'll get healthy. So it's called Leamington? Leamington, yeah. Uh, and then Rivers would return, actually, to produce what I think is the Felt's masterpiece, which is Forever Breathes the Lonely Word. I love that album. And then both, both Brooks and Rivers would work with Lawrence on the second Denim album, Denim on Ice, which is an album I've never heard because it is really hard to find. But before we move on from Felt Everyone, I want to play a... It's, it's kind of interesting. This was on the 12-inch version of of the single for for um, Sunlight Sunlight Bathed the Golden Glow. Because there was three songs in that one, because it's big, it's a 12-inch record. And so it had this instrumental version, a sort of instrumental remix called Sunlight Strings. So this also came out, obviously, in 1984, because it was on the B-side. But let's give it a listen, everybody. Here is Felt with Sunlight Strings.
right, so that was Sunlight Strings by Felt. Uh, I was going to say Felt, I would vote Felt Mary before was that. I just, I don't think there is a more, I don't think there's a more self-destructive group that ever performed, or self-sabotaging oh, really? group that wow. ever has performed in, in, in modern British music. But they, yeah, if, you name it, they did it, uh, you know, huge, um, a huge, um, what, do you, what do you call those kind of shows you play where it's like, uh, like a showcase show where all that, where all a bunch of like music press reps and stuff are at it. And, you know, that's a perfect time for the singer to take acid and then during the show demand that the guitar player stop playing. Just things like that, you know, that just seem like, <laughs> what, what yeah. were you thinking? But yes, and also there's strange love of the instrumental, which this is an example of where the song, you know, obviously isn't just the backing track to the song. It's partly the backing track to the song, but then the strings are been arranged to, to do the, uh, to take over the vocal part of it. And I want to say one last thing about this song before I move on, which is that it's a part of, uh, I think that probably kind of gone away, maybe not, but I don't know. If you can think of modern examples, let me know. But the put-down song, you know, like the you think you know everything sort of song, which, you right. know, kind of Bob Dylan perfected with um, with like Rolling Stone and, and Positively 4th Street hmm. in the in the 60s. But uh, I think that uh, Lawrence really was quite good at it. And when, when the guitar player, Morris DeBank, left the group, He's on this song, but when he left the group before Forever Breathes the Lonely Word, Lawrence was quick to write a song, you know, a put-down song to Morris DeBank. So it's just like, yeah, he was a real expert at it. The snide put-down song. Okay. Oh, one quick thing. Oh, sure, Mayor. Do you want to hear about Leamington Spa? Do I? Um, anyway, so let's... Okay. What? Uh, so it was originally a small village called Leamington Priors. Okay. It grew into a spa town in the 18th century ah. following the popularization of its water, which was reputed to have medicinal qualities. Of course it was. Probably the River Leam, which flows through the town, and that's where it was na- what it was named you after. You know what? Who want- doesn't want to drink river- water from a river that flows through a town? Yeah, right. Uh, and Especially then, if you're on the, out, the, the wrong side of yeah, it. Right? Um, in the 19th century, the town experienced one of the most rapid expansions in England. Oh, okay. So yep. it's basically an industrial town. Probably the, the water could also run, uh, wheel, mil, uh, run the water wheels for mills and things like that. Well, it's a spa town and civil parish. Okay. So it's still like kind of a vacation destination. Oh, I see. Um, and it cont- uh, it has a bunch of like Regency architecture. Um, cool. Well, it that's has probably a population of around 50,000. That's not bad. That's not too big. Yeah. That's about the size of Aldergrove. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Yeah, not at all. It's like five times the size of all <laughs> Five times. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Shall we move on to a new new song? Yeah, what's our next song, Dad? Because this song isn't actually new. When I said new song, I was lying. <laughs> this song, this song the... we just made up ourselves. Oh, this song's Here from it the is. 60s. This song is from the 60s. So it's, <coughs> this is The Orange Bicycle. The song is called Last Cloud Home, and that's from 1969. So let's give it a listen, everyone. Turn to the sun 
thoughts on this song any thoughts on this song <laughs> yes. um i liked it oh okay, i thought good. it had a nice sound yeah it kind of reminded me of the collectors oh that's an interesting point yeah i could see that yeah. for sure for sure yeah it definitely has a bit of a folk rock element to it mm-hmm. that, that's for sure a kind of out of out of date folk rock sound since it was that in 1969 and folk rock was passe, passe. Yeah. by that point but i think you know kind of like the collectors who came from Canada and probably developed their sound in the mid 60s and then they got to go down to California and by the by the late 60s they were you know everyone's kind of like oh you got an old sound but they're like oh we wrote these songs a couple years ago you took you guys a long time to find us (laughs) the orange bicycle having a pretty to me a pretty fascinating history Mary and I I hope wonder are you ready for this Mary yes are you ready for a patented no copyright no trademarked trademarked TM Uh uh-huh sneaky dragon mini doc no, listening party mini doc. There you go. I gotta get this right, everyone. Let me just let me back up the tape here. Mary. Yep. Are you ready for a listening party mini doc? Yes. T M. All right. Ready. Here we go. So the Orange Bicycle Mayor began their musical life as a skiffle group in London's Crouch End. Skiffle. In the Luton area of London. Luton. That's a great name. Luton. Luton. L U T O N. Oh, okay. In the late fifties. And then, of course, like all skiffle groups that did not break up because mom needed the tea chest back, they... It's <laughs> like your little Silly. annoying... <laughs> Silly. Annoying uh, or annoyed? I think, no, no, your knowing laugh. Oh, knowing. Your knowing laugh at the tea chest joke there. It's good. The group group changed uh, to a rock and roll band, which was it was because it was the rock and roll times in London. And they became Rob Storm. Let me just tell you, Rob was spelled with two Bs. And Storm was spelt with an E on the end. 
because that's rock and roll, everybody. Rob Storm and the Whisperers. Sorry, and the Whispers, not the Whisperers. <laughs> the Whispers. The Whisperers. Whisperers, dog whispers. The Whispers. Uh, and then after they, you know, they played for a while. And then in 1965, they did a single called Where's My Gal? And it was unsuccessful and the group broke up. And then Storm put together a new group, uh, which, he, which he gave a more up-to-date name called the Rob Storm Group. And the most important part of this change was he brought in this drummer named Will Malone, who would soon be playing keyboards for the group and providing arrangements as well. Because hmm. he was kind of, he's a multi-instrumentalist. And uh, more trivially, he also brought in this bassist named Lou Collins, uh, who b- played bass in the group. And he would go on to uh, become an actor and he would star in the 1970s TV series, The Professionals, which when I grew up was popular on CBC television on Saturdays. Hmm. Cool. Saturday mornings. Or Saturday weekends, I guess I should say. The... Now, in 1966, the group recorded, and they, they were huge fans of the Beach Boys, which who were actually super popular in England at that time. It's hard to believe how popular they were. Pet Sounds actually won the Best Album of the Year award at the NME oh, uh, wow. Awards, so that was considered a big deal. And in 1966, the group recorded a cover of the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds album track, Here Today, and it really shows off Will Malone's arranging style, I think. It's quite good, and so let's give it a listen. So this is the Rob Storm Group with Here Today, which came out on Columbia Records in 1966. Here we go. It starts with just a little glance now Right away you're thinking about romance now You know you ought to take it slower But you just can't wait to get to know If you're not careful, think about the thing you can bring It makes you feel so bad, it makes your heart feel sad And makes your days go wrong, and makes your nights so long You gotta keep in mind what is here Today is gone Tomorrow it's here and gone so
All right, so that was here today by the Rob Storm Group. Some pretty mighty bass playing in that song by by uh, later actor Luke Luke Collins. That's his name, wasn't it? Luke Collins, Lewis Collins. So that song was not successful, though. It was not a no. It was not a hit single. Mm. I think partly because a different group whose name I can't remember now had put out the same song a month earlier. Ah, so that it doesn't too, doesn't yeah, help. That doesn't help at all. And of course, you don't know what's happening in the. So when those sort of things happen, it's it's a disaster, but not planned. Unplanned disaster, as the No Fun song goes. Mm-hmm. So the group began became a backing group for a couple of popular singers, Paul and Barry Ryan, twins. But the following year, they were replaced by a group called the Majority. So the Ryan twins brought in this different group and said to uh, Rob Storm and, and the Rob Storm group, hit the pavement. <laughs> so the group then called it quits. So then Malone and Storm, who had reverted to his real name of Scales, formed a new group called, Mary, can you guess what they're called? Um, no. The Orange Bicycle. Oh, oh, this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? Can yeah. I just say quickly, sure. that yeah. is a very... Dutch sounding name. The Orange Bicycle? Yeah. White Bicycle is a Dutch sounding name. Why? Because there's actually a song by this band called Tomorrow called White Bicycle. Okay. White Bicycles, which is a really great song, by yep. the way. Which is about this this program that was going on in, in Holland in the 60s where they had these free bicycles that were painted white. Oh, okay. They just were left around the city that cool. if you needed a bicycle, you could just grab one. That's and, cool. So they did a song called My White Bicycle. That's what it's called. Mm. My White Bicycle. Well, because they're a very bike forward country. Very bike forward. And they are also um, orange. That's right. The people are orange there. Yes. And That's what I meant. They ride white exactly what I meant. It's a really interesting contrast. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, many Muppets, such as Bert and mm. Ernie, were based on Dutch people. Yeah. Because they are also orange. Right. And also the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> also Oompa Loompas. <laughs> That's, why, that's why the Oompa Loompa sounds Dutch. And you're right. It yes. Is, it is yeah. Dutch. It's actually in Dutch. It's more like Oompa Loompa, but yeah. I think that sounds more Swedish. Ah, uh, well, they're sounds very, more like you're doing a Swedish chef. Very close together. Slash. Very, um, you look in that part of the ABBA Europe impression. You look at that part of Europe, and you can see like it's all right. it's all pretty much the same. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I'm sure they love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to our one Dutch listener. <laughs> they began recording with this guy named Monty Babson at a at Lansdowne Studios, and Babson. Uh, was not associated with any record label. He would just make finished masters, and then he would sell them to re- to record companies who were interested. Hmm. And so that was basically his thing. So he just started. So he started working with the, with the Orange Bicycle, and so the group's first release, Hyacinth Threads, backed with Amy Peet, uh, which featured two songs written by Will Malone, also him playing harpsichord on both songs. Unfortunately, despite support from uh, BBC's BBC DJ, famous BBC DJ John Peel. The single was not a success. John Peel of the helping out with the laws was that John Peel or no? Probably no. Oh no no John Peel of um, the Smiths Hatful of Hollow. Yes yes. Many John Peel sessions. Yeah. For that. That, that's that was the thing. Like you can there's like a whole series of John Peel yeah. sessions because he did John Peel sessions all like the for time. different bands yeah, all yeah. the time. Like the Fall have like a two CD set. Or I think actually it's a four CD set of John Peel sessions. Hmm, cool. They just did so many. Yeah. They were his favorite band. Yeah, so. I prefer a lot of um, John Peel sessions to the original. Sometimes, Smith's, yeah, yeah. Songs. Same with the Monochrome set. Like yeah. a lot of the stuff on Volume Contrast and, and Volume Brilliance. Contrast Brilliance is yeah. from John Peel sessions. John Peel sessions, cool. and I like I like them because they're not overproduced or or, or too too thought out. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like get her done, mm-hmm. and so the band doesn't make an opportunity to overthink yeah. itself. Well, I find one thing that is good with the Smiths is they're often all, they're 
They're not. They're a bit faster. They're a little bit more upbeat. They're mm-hmm. not quite as slow. Yeah. Which like yeah. I do like the Smiths, but like Doesn't sound like it. Sometimes they can be a little dreary, you know. <laughs> it's nice to nice to punch it up just just the littlest bit. That's funny. I prefer the dreary songs to the to the, yeah. the f- faster songs. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Meet Is Murder, the album Meet Is Murder, because I feel like oh, okay. the songs are like too rockin' for right. me. Right. Well, I'm not talking about that rock and roll. I'm not talking that. I'm just talking like you know songs that don't make you want to kill yourself as much. That's also good. Mm. When you're a teenager, mm-hmm. right in the that's right in the pocket. Mm. Yeah. Right in the pocket. Well, mm-hmm. 80s teenagers, anyway. Anyone, anyone want to wander through a cemetery with me? <laughs> so let's give a listen to uh, Hyacinth's Threads, their first single. And listen to the song and then tell me why this song wasn't more popular than it was. I think this is a brilliant song. Hyacinth Threads by by the Orange Bicycle. I think pretty darn good, Mary. What did you think of that song? It was a really good song. Yeah, it is really good. I cannot tell you why it wasn't more popular. I don't know. I guess it's a little weird. I don't know. It just feels mm-hmm. like so so kind of fun, though, and forward-feeling. Yeah. Like yeah. Such, but uh, 
you know, maybe maybe people weren't ready for the rock and harpsichord even at that time. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. So the band released a string of singles through 1967 and 1968 without any success at all. Uh, even with the undying support of John Peel, he could not. Even he, a single DJ on the BBC who got to play an hour <laughs> of music every two days or something, could not break this band. Yeah. Babson left Lansdowne Studios and established his own studio called Morgan Sound Studios in Williston. Which I always think of because of the kink song Williston Green, hmm. which is like a fake country song that they did as a B-side to some single, probably. <sighs> no, I'd just be guessing if I said Dead End Street or Autumn so- Almanac. But one, one of those kind of, one of the ones from that time period would have had that as a, you know, Wonder Boy or something. And I don't actually like it very much because it's super countryish feeling and he sings in a deep voice. That's what I think of when I think of Williston. But anyway, that's where Morgan Studios were. I always want to say Morgan Blue Studios, but that, that was because the label that uh, Bob got started later on was called um, was called Morgan Blue Records. Okay. But anyhow, when he moved to this new studio, uh, Will Malone became an invaluable part of the la- of the label, or, or not label, Morgan Sound, because he was able to write, sing, play, produce, and arrange music for all kinds of different groups and made up groups that might happen to be uh, working at the uh, at the studio at that time. So he recorded one-off projects such as the Barnaby Rudge single, Joe Organ and Company, or the uh, or they, a different group called Fickle Pickle, and um, or the album Funny Sad Music, which he released as the Wilson Malone voice band. And Mary, I got to tell you, this is an album that I would have loved as a, as a kid. Oh, yeah? It is... Silly. Bonkers. Okay. And I'm going to play you guys a version of Penny Lane... And I'm going to tell you right now that I think this is a version of Penny Lane that you've never heard before. Okay. Or anything like it. Okay. So here we go, everyone. La 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 la
Okay, and that was uh, the Wilson Malone voice band, and Mary, uh, that was silly fun, but uh, like I say, as a kid, I would have thought that was the cat's pajamas, because right. it was so silly. Because you're so a weirdo. Fun. Well, maybe, but also mm, I always yeah. I like I like humor and music, and I think that the album kind of, it has some fun with, with some popular songs of that time, and uh, just to sort of, you know, it's hard to even know, like, who bought that album, but there you go. It's an album of, like... A collection of covers, but done in a really kind of odd way. Hmm. Um, so the Orange Bicycle went on a brief hiatus in 1969 as Malone focused on other projects at the, at the, at the studios, including an album with two of Morgan Sound Engine Morgan Sounds uh, sound engineers. So there's two guys there, um, and one of them was Andy Johns, the brother of Glyn Johns, who played on the album, and then another guy whose name was whose last name was Boback, Mike Boback who was an engineer there, and he played guitar. And so Malone decided it would be fun to do an album with them, and so he just did an album. Uh, they, you know, and the thing is, is that because because uh, Monty Babcock owned the... Sorry, I keep saying Babcock. Ma- Monty Babson, getting mixed up with Mike Babcock, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks coach. I don't know what I was getting mixed up with a hockey coach. Anyway, Mike, Monty Babson, please ignore all the Babcocks that I said before. That was wrong. Babson, Monty Babson, because he owned the studios, the ba- the people like Will Malone, who were like favored sons, could just like use off time whenever they wanted to to record in, and so they would just oh. he just during time, studio downtime when there was no right. no other bands there, he and these guys just made an album called and they called it Boback Johns and Mal- sorry Boback Johns Malone was the name of the album. It came out in 1969. Uh, the album's called Mother Light, and uh, it has some great songs on it. And I want to play one here called On a Meadow Lay, and I just think it's really beautiful. Especially the end, I just love how the end of the song, uh, most of all, and has some great rock and guitar in it as well. So let's give a listen to Boback John's Malone from 1969. This is On a Meadow Lay.
of that was uh, that was Bobak John's Malone on a metal Lee. I I think I said Lay earlier, but on a metal Lee they say in the song, so I'll, I'll go along with that. What do you think of uh, what do you think of that song? It was good. I thought at at the beginning I thought it actually sounded pretty modern. Yeah, like yeah. it sounded like something that would be on like the peak. You know? Okay. Okay. Like that, like genre, not like popular modern, but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. modern, like indie modern. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And then the Frico guitar came in, and you went, "Well, well, that that it wasn't even that. Okay. Like crazy. Yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you when you were saying like Frico guitar, I was like, oh. But then when it started, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, this is fine. <laughs> this works. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that it's you know it's it's a fun album. It's obviously you know it's like this no pressure album because. They're just doing it for fun, and you know, mm-hmm. and it came out on Morgan Blue Blue Records, so it was just like a in-house production all the way. So right. it was just content for the for the record label, I guess. Yeah. So you know, you know what happened? The Orange Bicycle finally got to make a full-length album in 1970, mm-hmm. and when I heard about that, I was pretty excited. Yeah. Because I liked the band a lot from the singles and stuff that I'd heard from them through, you know, uh, compilations and things. I first heard, I first heard. Last Cloud Home, I think it's on Insane Times, which is like a, a collection of Parlophone, EMI Parlophone psychedelic stuff from the 60s. Because although the band started on, on Columbia, they, you know, they kind of moved to different, moved to Parlophone records because they weren't having any success with Columbia. And so Columbia was probably like, yeah, I think we've had enough of releasing these uh, singles to a resounding silence. So then they, they, <laughs> they moved over to, to Parlophone. Yeah. And so they finally got to do an album. And this was for Morgan Blue, not for anyone but by this time, the band had kind of shed its more kind of toy town psych sound of its of its early period, and it kind of had adopted a rootsier approach. Bands were taking in the late '60s, especially like in the wake of the band's first album. And I would definitely compare this album to something a lot like Procol Harum to me. And it included three Elton John songs, Elton John, Bernie Taupin songs, um, "Take Me to the Pilot," "Lady Samantha," and "Country Comforts." That were all covers, and probably maybe a little ahead of of Elton John doing them. I'm not exactly sure. At least contemporary to him. Because those songs are probably out there as demos that John did for Dick James Music, and so if you wanted, you could you could cover them for sure. But the record didn't really, once again, didn't light the world on fire. And I think you know, like I do think that Rob Scales, or for, formerly Storm, had like was a really good singer. But I think by this point, you know, he's he's basically doing like doing a sort of imi- uh, imitation of of other singers, and I, I don't think it was quite as successful. So the band broke up in '71, but Will Malone had already done a solo album. At this point, he'd released on the Fontana label, which I've heard described as acid folk, but I think it comes closer to like the sort of heavily orchestrated kind of Baroque uh, singer-songwriter sound that was very popular oh, okay. in England just at that time period. And I would compare it mostly to like One Year, the the um, album by Colin Blenstone, who was in the sang from the Zombies. Now, Will Malone is in no way as good a singer as Colin Blenstone. I would never, no one could ever say that about anyone because right. he's such a great singer. But it's an interesting album. And I'm going to play one final song. For this little mini documentary, and this is Will Malone from his solo album, which was self-titled Will Malone. It came out in 1970, and this song is called I Could Write a Book. Late Saturday night, walking home into the light, bumped into the man who cleans the telescopes. That's when I said, hello there, said you were dead And he grinned, and the wind blew his face away Horoscopes from another age, another age Ah, I could write a book 
on the side of the morning hill Parchment unfurled, took an arch, bent to the world Stars are crossed, feeling lost in the evening ink Dawning quill from another age, another page Ah, I could write a book I could write a book I could write a book So that was Will Malone, uh, yep. solo venture. Uh, he did this and another solo album after this one. And then um, he moved on into producing and arranging. Uh, he's worked with a lot of different bands. Okay. Including and he doing... was also ahead of his time Why? because he was predicting the 80s um, book reading <laughs> musician guy. Sure. And it's mean that, that Bell and Sebastian, for instance, have taken, off, taken on into the, into, the 20th century, yeah. into the 21st century. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's funny, yeah, because that's Bell, Bell and Sebastian. Or the Felt is a is a band that Bell and Sebastian often name check in their li- in their liner notes and stuff like that. So that chicken is pulling blossoms off the tree. What? She's eating them. Doesn't she know those those are future plums for us? <laughs> I never eat the plums. Oh, I do. You do? Oh, those are good plums. Aren't they're not filled with worms. No, they're good. Oh, huh. Or I don't notice. Okay. The worms are also nutritious, I guess. Our, some of our friends have a cherry tree, and their cherries are always filled with worms. Oh, because no. they don't spray for them, right? Well, I've never had any trouble with worms from oh, that, well, that tree, or good. that plum tree there. That's good. They're kind of like mini plums. Are they, are they the yellow ones? They're not yellow. They're, I mean, they are, but they're really small. They're they're yeah. almost like cherries themselves. Mm. So yeah. So what did you think of I Could Write a Book? Oh, you said it, you said you liked it because it, it foretold, foretold the yes. book. It's prophetic. Yeah. But I was going to say that Will Malone was the person who did, I think one of his things that we, most people would know him for nowadays was that he did the string arrangement for the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. Which was based on a uh, sample they wanted to use, and I guess he did sort of an interpolation of that, and they still got in trouble for it and lost lost all the royalties to the song. Oh wow! Yeah, I think actually it was, they recently reinstated to them, but yeah, for a long time during the most popular years of the song, they got no dough for that song. It all went to, um, I guess, it went to Andrew Luke Oldham because they took it from an instrumental album that he had done, where he played like instrumental versions of the Rolling Stones songs, and so they one of the songs in there. I can't remember which one it was. The last time, something like that. One, one of the songs they they stole a little bit of that for their song, and then and that got them into big trouble and disproved how stupid that whole uh, sampling problem, is, sampling thing is, and all the laws around it are completely ridiculous. Hmm. Anyhow, Mary. Anyhow, yes. I hope you enjoyed that mini documentary. I did. Good, because it I sprung it on you. Yes. Anyhow. Well, sprung... not really. You told me about it today, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. But then I sprung it on you anyway. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't know if that. Well, okay, sure. All right. I'm gonna spring the next song on you. Okay. This is this, right. is, this is Beck. <laughs> this is Beck, everyone. All right. What's wrong? What's what's wrong? Nothing. Okay. Don't let me spring any songs on you, everyone. This is Beck. This is Rental Car from his 2005 album Wero. 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 Let's give it a listen, okay. everyone. You gotta say it with a r. I can't. You can't trill. You cannot trill. Nope, I never could, you, could. How could you pretend to speak with a Scottish accent when you're a kid? I never did. Oh, well, I guess that's me by I myself. I can't whistle either. Huh. I think my tongue's Strange. too big. Your tongue's too big? I think big. so. I've really, I realized I have a large a large tongue. What did, how did you realize this? Were Looking you... at other people's tongues? I was like, 
Hmm, that's too big. Wait, are people sticking their tongue out at you or something? No, you, you know, you just see like people will stick their tongue out online sometimes. Okay. I'm like, what's going on with that? And I'm like, oh man, no, it's me. <laughs> okay. Well, later on, I'll have to get you to stick your tongue out and I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. Let's get a ruler out and we'll have to measure it. Well, I saw someone online being like, oh, like if you have your tongue up against the roof of your mouth, then it's good. And I'm like, when my mouth is closed, my tongue fills like the entirety of my mouth. <laughs> like, what? How? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> well, that's not true, because you couldn't speak if you your tongue filled your entire mouth. Well, that's why I struggle with speaking, Dad. Oh, okay. That's true. You did. Yeah, I did. I had to go and sit in a room with someone and, and talk better, learn how to talk better at school. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Is that hard to do? What? You're... Talk better? Yeah. I, well, yeah, it was at the time. Mm. It's okay now. Those birds are really chasing each other around out there. Sure. All right, so this is, uh, let's play the song. This okay. is uh, Guero from the album Guero. Sorry, this is Rental Car, uh, as I said, from 2005. Here we go.
okay. back. Back, Mary. Yep. What did you think of this song by Beck? Well, my first note was Beck? Question mark. So I was like, I'm pretty sure this is Beck. And I'm right. Uh, I liked it. Yeah. It's a good song. Sure. I like the singing. Okay. Uh, I like his sound. Sure. I thought it was pretty fun. Cool. Yep. I'm glad to hear that. I like Beck. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It seems that I really like Beck, Beck songs that are done in, that are, felt like they're done in segments that involve electric guitars and harpsichords. Because huh. it sounds a lot to me like the song Diamond Bollocks. Okay. The quote unquote hidden track on Mutations. Mm. It came on after the song before it. Right. The secret track. Well, you didn't know it was there. You had to wait a few minutes before it suddenly appears. Mm. I don't like those. No, it seems like a lot of waste there's of time. One on one, there's one local Rabbits album. Yes. And... You have to wait nine minutes. Oh, man. Such a long wait. <laughs> and this... the song's not even that good, and it's really long. Oh, I really like the song. It is It's like 30 minutes long. It's yeah. almost 27 minutes, I think. It's and like a 30-minute track when you put it on your... It's a 30-minute jam. When you put it on your, um, your phone or whatever, because you've got the original song, yeah. and then the wait, mm-hmm. and then the song. Well, I'll send you the... Uh, I'll send you the... The tracks broken up as I did. I, I, I edited them out. I think part. I have it like that okay. on my phone now. Okay. But originally, it was like yeah, a 30 yeah. minute long song. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. Well, Skip, next song. Let's go back to the beginning. It's it. Yeah. It probably seemed like a good idea at the time because it was kind of using the CD in an interesting way. Yeah. But, but I remember there wait was... nine minutes. You I, know? Rem- I remember there was a... Uh, it might have been an X-Files soundtrack or something like that. And there were, or some kind of track. Anyway, there was a hidden track that you, when you started the CD, if you, you had to press backwards like reverse and then it would play a hidden first song oh okay it didn't play like um easter eggs on dvd menus yeah kind of like that yeah, yeah. that was a weird one but uh, once again why let's play the songs don't well need it's to... x files don't we need to hide it's things x files i guess it's like the whole that's their whole deal all right so mare yeah Guero is a latino word for a pale-skinned or blonde-haired person oh, okay it's like a it's like a um, bit of slang slang yeah. yeah a bit of slang so uh so if someone, there's a song on Guero called Que, que Onde Guera. Okay. Or que Onda Guero, which is basically what wave, white boy, meaning what's happening, white boy. Or right. Where, where are you going, white what's, boy? What's up? Why are you walking through our neighborhood, white boy? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. probably the basic, yeah, basic prob- meaning of it. Probably the implication. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, like I say, it kind of harkens back to mutations, but it isn't as, because even though mutations came out in um, 1998 and this song came out in 2005, it actually dates from 1999 during the Midnight Vulture sessions, uh, because the song actually features musicians who are on those sessions, unlike other songs on Guero. So, so yeah, he was working on the song for a long time, apparently had trouble making it work, and I guess that's why it's in a lot of sections. And the la-la-la section, you know, the la-la-la-la-la-la, that part of the song, um, was based on a sample of Austrian woman yodeling, and they couldn't clear the sample. They had this sample of Austrian woman yodeling, because this album, just to make a point, Guero was... Produced by the Dust Brothers, like okay. like his album Odelay, and so a lot of people like Odelay is Odelay is good. Odelay is a pretty good album. Yep. I, I like it, but I actually prefer this album. To oh Odelay. yeah, I think this album is a bit more fun. I think Odelay is like his album that people would be like, "Oh, Odelay, that's like Beck's album." That's right, know? exactly. Yeah, and I think I don't know if Guero was an attempt to recapture that. Maybe it was kind of felt that his his career was sort of slowing down or whatever, and they're yeah. like, "You should get back together with the Dust Brothers and make another Odelay." And so then they got back together and then this al- this album, which isn't exactly like Odelay, and in some ways I like it better than Odelay. I think I like the noise part of it more. You do like noise in I songs. I do like noise in songs, Mary. You're I know. Right. Yep. You're so right. So yeah, so they couldn't clear the sample. Because when they did Odelay, they probably did Odelay and it was just kind of like, we it's a free-for-all. We'll just put a bunch of music on. We don't have to clear it. Yeah. Wah, wah, ha, ha, ha. And then <laughs> by the time they were going to do Guero, it's like, oh, the iron, 
the iron thumb of copyright has come squishing, squishing yeah. down on the on artist, so we can't have fun anymore. And you know who started that, everyone? The Turtles, those jerks. Did they? Yeah, they sued uh, De La Soul for a song on Three Feet Three Feet and Rising. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember what the song was now, but they used a, probably used Happy Together or something like that. And, yeah. And so uh, Mark Volman and Howard Kalin said, hey, there's money in this, and so they sued them. That's That sucks. It's a real chilling effect on sampling and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I remember... A YouTuber I like was talking about. I guess I, I I don't I don't know anything about either of these musical artists. Yeah. But um, there's a band called Yellow Car. Okay. And I guess there was a guitar bit and a song by some other person, and Yellow Car was like, "That sounds like our song." So yeah. they sued this person. Yeah. And then that guy died, okay. and they kept suing him. All right. Yeah. Well, the estate. Yeah. And everyone was kind of like. They're not suing uh, him. They're suing the estate. But sorry. Yeah. They're suing the estate. The state, right, they're suing his the state is still getting money yeah. from the song, so if they feel yeah. like they have a, a actual grievance, yeah. But yeah, it was and like the guy was like eighteen or twenty when he died, mm. and so everyone was kind of like, "You're like suing like this guy's like parents, yeah, yeah, or whatever, like the people who like own his legacy now, yeah. Like that's kind of not really yeah, fair not for them that they are going to have to it's like not great, their son dies and then they have to deal with this lawsuit, yeah." Well, unfortunately, yeah. like anything in the legal system, lawyers like to encourage these things. Yeah, of course. And the justice system, so-called, I put that in quotation marks, yeah. likes to encourage like these Eve's, things. Like Eve's prof, who always puts justice, whenever she talks about the justice system, she puts it in quotation marks. Yeah, you should. Yes, you because should. Because it's based on a... An in, an unjust um, <laughs> system. Yeah. It's not necessarily unjust, it's just based on a system that has nothing, no, has no concern with justice. Yeah. As, as you know, it's concerned with billable hours and other things mm-hmm. and that's what's driving all this stuff so yeah so they couldn't clear the sample right so they brought in a friend of beck's named petra hayden and so she did an interpolation of the yod- of the yodeling part and it's a you know she did as best she could she probably she's not a yodeler so right. she just did her own thing they should have got that yodeling kid from youtube if only they'd known if only they'd known if only that, they, that kid who yodels in walmart if only they'd known that 10 years in advance of the time yeah. they were doing it, that yeah. then, you know, if only Beck had waited longer to release this yes, song. Yes, exactly. Not just not just five, six years, but how about how about wait sixteen sixteen years? Yeah, um, yeah. So she did that sample, and and Petra Hayden mm-hmm. is the daughter. Well, she's one of she's a triplet. Okay, she's one of the Hayden sisters. They're okay. a triplet band. Right. They sing together. Uh, the Daughters of Charlie Hayden, the jazz bassist. Hmm. If you don't know Charlie Hayden, the jazz bassist, everyone, I recommend that you listen to the Liberation Jazz Orchestra album with arrangements by Carla Blay. Such a great record. And then Tanya Hayden, one of the triplets, is married to Jack Black. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go, everyone. Cool. A little bit of trivia about the actor, Jack Black. Now I know. Now if I'm ever asked at trivia, yeah, Jack Black, which famous sister, which semi-famous sister, no, wait, which Hayden, no. Which Hayden triplet? Which Hayden triplet is married to the to the to Jack actor Black. Jack Black? Yeah, yes. You say that's uh, Tanya. Unlike yeah. Rachel or Petra, they're not. Part I feel of like Rachel is a anyway. No, I'm not gonna. You know what? What's in, what's you were the... gonna go all namey on me again? I was. I was. But weird. I already <laughs> did one of those. Okay, Dad. What's next? <laughs> Let's go from 2005 back to 1971, Mary. Oh, going back in time. We can time time travel on our show, and this is Emmett Rhodes. My beloved Emmett Rhodes. You with, do love Emmett Rhodes. I do love Emmett Rhodes. From his uh, 1971 album Mirror. Mirror. And this is Love Will Stone You.
about Emmett Rhodes. I thought it was a good song. Did you? And I liked the guitar. Yeah? Yep. Yeah, it's very... You know who played the guitar in that part? Emmett Rhodes? You are correct, ma'am. Wow, look at that. What a good guess. I'm psychic. <laughs> because? Why did, why did he... Why do you know that as a fact? Because you said the song was by him, and then you asked me who did the guitar. But who's playing piano, you, then? You like him? Who's playing piano? Is it also Emmett Rhodes? It is also Emmett Rhodes. But the drums... Hmm? Can you guess who's playing those? Emmett Rhodes? Once again, Emmett Rhodes. Because yeah. you know why, Mary? Because he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a multi-instrumentalist who played all the instruments mm-hmm. himself, and produced himself, and recorded himself, and engineered himself. And then, when he was done all that, he would take those tapes to his friend, Keith Olsen, yep. who worked at a different studio, and had a fancy 16-track machine, and then they would mm. do like a mix-down of everything and make it cool. sound, get rid of all the extraneous noises and stuff like that that would occur when you're recording in your parents' garage. Right. So this was from his second ABC Dunhill record, which should be officially a second album, if you don't count the career-stalling kneecapper 
album that A&M Rush released when when uh, his first album was getting popular and kind of kind of stymied his career. The jerks. Man, I hate record labels. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know why you, I don't know why you would feel that way, Mary. It was because while making Mirror, while making Mirror, Rhodes was being sued by ABC Dunhill for two hundred fifty thousand dollars for for failing to complete his contract because he did not pr- produce a second album in one year by himself, writing all the songs and producing and playing on it. Hmm. His first his first album took a year to make. Yeah, this album took uh, took nine months. It was a little faster. Yeah, his next album took a year to make because he had to learn how to play uh, saxophone. When he made it, so he could right. do a horn section yes. for the album. So it added to his to his production time. Yeah, I mean, here's my I, here's my thing... feelings about Emmett Rhodes. Oh, okay, super talented musician. Yes, it's hard to understand listening to the songs why he wasn't more popular, mm-hmm. except for the fact that he was obviously a bit of a kook. Right, and that being a bit of a kook is going to impact on your career, your yes, professional career. You know, and you can be happy as a kook, and I don't think yep. he was. I think he was very depressed. I think that. You know, like, he did, but he, he wanted to be more popular? I think he wanted to be more popular, okay. and I, but I, you know, I think that the way he made music and the person that he was, he looked like a, if you look at him like playing, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a link on the page when we, when this goes up, because there, there's a, a really nice video of him playing. He's not playing live. He's singing live to, to backing tapes mm-hmm. on a British music show called the Old Grey Whistle Test, hmm. which is a funny name. And, and uh, Chris Roberts friend of the show has written in to tell us why it's called that and unfortunately i do not remember his explanation and that is very rude of me and i apologize chris and i would go back and look at it only that would involve me looking back through many shows to try and find your comment yeah so i'm gonna take i'm gonna say that it's called the old gray whistle test for this reason mary because they used the show to test old gray whistles and originally but then they changed the concept well yes exactly that was exactly what my my my, my guess was oh okay perfect two minds think alike yes Yes, two minds think alike, and so, so yes, so Rhodes was a guest on that, and and of course because he, you know, I was reading an interview with him, and it was by this guy who was like a huge fan. He became like a TV writer, and he was a huge fan of Emmett Rhodes. And one day he was he met someone, and they gave him this piece of paper, and they said, "This is Emmett Rhodes' phone number. Call him." And so this guy was like, "Oh my God, Emmett Rhodes!" <sighs> he was like had to fan himself with his his hand. He's like, "Oh, I don't know if I can call him." And so then a couple of days went by, and then he finally like got up the courage, and he. He phoned Emmett Rhodes, and he's just like so nervous. He just wanted to hang out the phone, and then then he got a voicemail, got a an answering service, and so he left a message for Emmett Rhodes, just basically to saying how much he had liked him, and yep. you know, thank you for letting us use your song "Live" in the show. He was doing a show, and they got to use the mm-hmm. the, the, the merry-go-round song "Live," and then he hung up the phone, and he uh, he's like, "Well, that's that." And a couple of days later, or the next day, Emmett Rhodes phones. Yeah. So they're talking for a little bit, and then he out of the blue without realizing it, some other voice that wasn't his own came out of his head and it said, would you like to go out for lunch or something one day? And Emma Rhodes was like, sure, that sounds fun. Yeah. So then he's like, oh man, now I've done it. <laughs> now I've done it. So then he he uh, got his, talked his friend into going with him because he's like, I don't want to do this by myself. This is right. like too much. It's too overwhelming. Yeah. So come with me. So they drove out. So it turns out that Emma Rhodes lived in Hawthorne, California. Okay. Home, 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 hometown of the Beach Boys. In fact, he went to the same high school as the Beach Boys. Oh, knew really? the Beach Boys. Lent Brian Wilson a bass one time that was not returned to him by the Beach Boys. <laughs> and so he sued them. And so he's currently <laughs> suing them. And so um, they went out. So they got there to this house and they said it was like your normal, you know, California house at that time, time period. Yeah. And, you know, he described it as like an overgrown lawn. The fence was falling over. They couldn't get to the gate. So they had to like walk around to the side of the, walk around the, side of the house and they, Emma Rhodes called to them. And he's like, oh, hey, so and so you're here. Okay, cool. I'll come out and meet you. And so he came out and then he brought them in and 
And this guy was like, so it's so depressing because your mind is like, to you, Emmett Rhodes is this beautiful guy who's on the cover of like, uh, the cover of, of uh, Emmett Rhodes, the first album or Mirror or whatever. And so then you meet this guy and he looks like, he looks like Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. He's like portly, got a big beard, long mm-hmm. hair. Yep. He's, he's gray, you know. And so it's like, you're having this like, this cognitive problem, like trying to make this association between these two, your mind's eye view of who he is and the reality and then you bring you bring him into this house, and he said like this is like this little room, and it had a bunch of cassettes and stuff in there, and and shelves on cinder blocks, and a mattress on the floor, and he basically had had he lived in one room of the house. Okay. And he had a renter who lived in the rest of the house, and and yeah, so you're just like oh this is depressing. And then they went had lunch together, and you know he said he was very nice, but you just have the feeling that this is a person who's a little offbeat. Right. He's not marching to the same drum as everyone else. And that's what makes him brilliant and great. But also what makes it kind of self-destructive and, and, and doesn't help your career, you know. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of sad. And, like, yeah, he took him into the... He actually showed him the studio where he had recorded. And, and the guy described it as, like, being full of cobwebs and, like, pretty pretty feeling pretty disused. So I do think that... I personally think that Amit Rhodes suffered from depression and just had a hard time, like, like trying to get past that. Because this guy was like, you know what you should do? Like, here's this enthusiastic... You know, guy who's a dad now and stuff like that, but he's like a go-getter. He's a TV writer and stuff like that, right? He's like put himself forward into the world creatively and like mm-hmm. taking the knocks and stuff like that. And, yeah. And he's like, you know what you should do? You you know, you could make like a lot of money playing the oldies circuit and like casinos and stuff like that. Yeah. You should put together a band and and go out and tour and like Emmett Rhodes. You could see his like his shoulders slumping at the idea, and he's just like, oh man, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Like having to get a band together and you got to get a tour manager. Yeah. You got to learn the songs. Like I don't even know my songs anymore. I'd have to like relearn my songs, teach them to other people. Ah, oh, I don't know. It seems like you know what I mean. Like he's just like just couldn't couldn't handle the idea of that kind of like didn't have the enthusiasm for it anymore. You know what I mean? He's a yeah. beaten down guy. Yeah. So it's too bad. Aww. So I also prefer to listen, prefer to think of and listen to these albums and think of the Emmett Rhodes of that time period, who was like, yeah, you know, would like learn to play a saxophone so he could have a horn section on his yeah. song. You know, Cause that to me is like incredible mm-hmm. and great. But anyway, let's go on to another song, everyone. Let's keep this happy. Let's keep it light. Okay. Let's keep it light. The next song is Death. No, just kidding. This is uh, Eldridge <laughs> Holmes with the song Pop, Popcorn Children, which was an Atco record single from 1969. Let's give it a listen. <laughs> Sister 
think you'll ever hear a song travel as far as this song did it went all the way from atlanta georgia uh-huh. to macon georgia and then okay. down to florida wow that's quite a bit of traveling that is quite a bit of traveling they're connected that reminds me of um in the good place yeah when chidi talks about like all these different places he's lived like all around the world yeah where he like grew up in um like africa and traveled to europe and worked in australia and then went back to africa and like did all this stuff yeah and um Eleanor Shellstrop's like, well, I, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, yeah, and then I went to high school in Tempe, Arizona, and then I moved back to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> and like, I didn't actually understand the enormity of that joke until I was looking at a map of Arizona the other day, yeah. and Phoenix and Tempe are like 30 minutes away from each other. <laughs> They're like right next to each other in a map. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's like me. That's my traveling from Coquitlam to Delta mm-hmm. to Aldergrove. That's fine. It's very fine. It is what it is, but I just, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, like I live in this, pl- in BC, and I'm from BC, and that's fine. But it's another <laughs> thing to say, oh, I, you know, I grew up in this place, and I lived in this place, it's 30 minutes away, and, but then now I live in this place. Yeah. Like, okay, yep. <laughs> so what do you think of this song, Mary? Um, I, well, I have a very uh, important question. Okay. Perhaps a mystery for the ages. Sure. What is a popcorn child? Pop- popcorn children? I think he's talking to the children. Yeah. And telling them to popcorn. Which was a dance. Oh. Which was a dance. I thought he was saying popcorn children. No, like, no. Like, that was like a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No, he's talking about a dance called oh. the, the popcorn. Okay. All right. Sure. Should I have said that before I started playing the song? It's kind of like give it context? I don't know. No. Okay. I don't know. I don't know all the old dances, you know? <laughs> yeah, Mary. Get well, hip. What am I supposed to... What? Get hip to what? Songs from... Or dances from 30, 40 years ago? Sure. I think it's time we brought back the mashed potato. No, I don't think so. I think so. I don't so. know what that is, but it doesn't sound very appealing as a dance. It's your favorite food. You just kind of like lie on the floor in like a heap. <laughs> Popcorn. Or a gr- I think the idea potatoes. is that you're mashing the potatoes with your feet. Oh. Not that really you, you're not, you are not the mashed potatoes. I don't really know. You can dance the mashed potatoes. You can dance the horse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I could probably think of it. The Charleston? You can do the, um, well, the Charleston's from quite a bit, quite a while before yeah. that. Yeah, no, not the Charleston. I wasn't thinking We're talking about old dance. We're talking I, about old yeah, dance. I know moves. I am, but I wasn't thinking that. The, I mean, those time periods are pretty close together. It's also like the Tighten Up, right? The uh-huh. song Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drells. What, a, what about um, the... Don't say the Lindy. No, I wasn't going to say the Lindy. I okay. was going to say the um, the bus stop. Yep, bus stop. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. But what did you think of this song? You didn't answer the oh, question after you asked um, the question. I thought it was fun. Okay. Is that is that a trumpet in the song? Probably. Is that that instrument? There's lots of horns in there for sure. Yeah. Well, I like that. Oh, I like okay. that part. I yeah. thought it was good. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think and my notes ahead. Trumpet, bracket, question mark, and bracket is good. <laughs> I'm really bad at identifying instruments. I mean, people probably know that. Trumpet's pretty point. significant sounding, but okay. I, yeah, I cannot. I can't tell. I don't know. Sure. I don't okay. know what any instrument sounds like, huh. except for like a tambourine. <laughs> that one's pretty. Stands out pretty good. Cool. Well, I don't have much to say about Eldridge Holmes, Mary, because we just know he was a New Orleans singer. Okay. Who recorded through the 60s and early 70s, and then kind of disappeared in the mid-70s. Best known for his work with uh, the New Orleans producer, Ellen Toussaint. And so most of his releases were on small regional labels, and he only had three records that were on like a label with national distribution, including this record, which was on Atco, and they had two other sides that were on Decca. And the rest of them are like on Elon Records or Disu and weird stuff like that. Now, here's the interesting thing about this song to me. Well, not this song necessarily, but about the popcorn. So the popcorn was a dance invented by and promoted extensively by James Brown through 1968. So I guess he was dancing at some show and he did a little dance and he really liked it, this little bit, little move that he did. And so he decided to like repeat it and then he made it into a dance and he decided to call it the popcorn. Okay. I can see the popcorn as a dance. Popcorn, when popcorn is popping, it's a very like active yeah, sure, thing, sure. right? So I can see sure. that as dancing. Much more active than mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, if we're talking, if we're talking active foods, foods yeah, that yeah. move around a lot, I don't think of mashed potatoes as moving around too much. Yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, not, wrong. not wrong. Like if you're like, li- like I feel like if you're like lying on the couch under a bunch of blankets, someone would be like, "What are you doing, the mashed potato?" Because you're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, I am doing the mashed potato. Yeah. Can't you see my toe slightly, slightly moving? Can, yeah, can't you? Can't you see me under all these these blankets simulating gravy? <laughs> so in 1968. A year in which James Brown released four albums Ooh. and 13 singles. Um, he also got really obsessed with the popcorn. So he released a song called The Popcorn, then a song called Mother Popcorn. Okay. Then a song called Lowdown Popcorn. Okay. And then, then a song called Brother Popcorn, then Sister he, Popcorn. <laughs> then he did a song. Then he had, he had like his various people around him because he had like, he had like all his shows would always have an opening act with a diva singer, like a, like a real belter. And at this point, it was Vicky Anderson, who was married to his longtime collaborator, Bobby Bird. And so Vicky Anderson did a song, an answer song, because answer songs, of course, were popular. So she did a song yes. called Answer to Mother Popcorn, bracket, I got, I got a mother for you, end bracket. Then um, another soul singer who was in his orbit, a guy named Bill Doggett, who had had a hit in the 50s, I think, with a song called, song called Honky Tonk. He had a song called... He did a song called Honky Tonk Popcorn. Charlie Sperling did a song called Popcorn Charlie. And then Hank Ballard, who, you know, in, was the actual inventor of the twist. Chubby mm-hmm. Checker wasn't the inventor of the twist, everyone. Hank Ballard actually did the song originally. Chubby Checker did a cover. But Hank Ballard did a song called Butter with Popcorn. And then uh, there was other James Brown songs, uh, like Mashed Potato Popcorn, P- Popcorn with Feeling, Let a Man Come In and Do the Popcorn, and its follow-up, Part 2, Let a Man Come In and Do the do the. <laughs> popcorn and that was basically the exact same take okay they had just edited this take down into like a single length song oh okay so then they just released a further a further excerpt of the original jam session and this, right. they called it part two okay let a man come in and do the popcorn sure as well as two albums of mostly instrumentals the popcorn and it's a mother so yeah it was quite quite the exploited by one single person plus a plus the satellites uh the popcorn with the, if curious fact, though, Mary, is that Holmes released a single on Elon Records in 1964 called Popcorn Pop Pop, which has nothing to do with the, the James Brown stuff and is not like a, related to a song or a dance at all. And it's just more related to the idea of popcorn popping. And it's kind of fun. It's more of a New Orleans sounding song, though, than the, than the popcorn, popcorn, than pop popcorn children. All right. 
Well, I'm glad you liked it. We're doing pretty good for you liking songs in this. Uh, yeah, we are. This episode. Um, also, can I just say that um, that the amount of times we've said pop in this, I, I cannot go by without mentioning Magnitude from Community. Don't know what you're talking about. Who is a character who's uh, who's who has a catchphrase? Yep. Which is pop pop where he like pushes his arms up yeah, pop yeah. pop yeah he's a one-man party sure he's like a he's like magnitude a, like he's a raver and people are like who's that it's magnitude pop pop thank you mary you're welcome thank you for making it up to date yes like why that's what i'm here for let's not, not talk I'm about boring to... 1969 1968 let's no. talk about ro- modern times well like relatively community. modern time 10 years to, ago yeah <laughs> times oh my god Oh my god. Okay, anyway, yeah, <laughs> ten years ago when community aired <laughs> wiping sweat off my brow. <laughs> ten years ago when I was in grade eleven <laughs> Yep. That, t- that time period that was well, a long time ago. Well, you know, beats the alternative. It's true. Just remember that. <laughs> so Mary. Yes. Before we play the next song. Uh-huh. Unlike the last song when I foolishly did not mention that the popcorn was a dance. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you a mind... Like, sometimes when I listen to music, mm-hmm. I get, like, an image from the music. Right. Or it'll make me think of something. Yes. So in the next song we're going to play, uh-huh. I want you to picture a movie ending. Okay. But not just any movie. Okay. This is a teen rom- rom-com high school movie. Okay. All right? So at the end of the movie, the two characters are standing in the parking lot of the of the school. Uh-huh. Because, you know... All, all school characters drive, and the parking lot is as big as a mall parking lot. Oh my god, lot. what is up with that? <laughs> I, I mean, crazy. I guess in the States, technically, they are allowed to drive a year earlier than us. Okay. Technically. Yeah. Whereas, like, we... I, I think it's absolutely bonkers that in the States, it's like, you're 16, here's some keys, have at her, kid. It's like, what? Well, it's like that when I grew up, so... That's, yeah, and they changed it for a reason. <laughs> Because here in VC, yeah. when you turn 16, you go in and you take a written learner's test. Yeah. And then you have your learner's license for one year. Yeah. And at that point, you can only drive with another adult in the car, someone who has been driving for 10 or more years. Yes. Um, you can shorten that from a year to, I think, nine months if you take courses that are approved by ICBC, which are partially in class and partially like driving courses i had a couple friends who did that they're quite expensive though um yeah and the end test which is the next test you can take that when you're 17 is very difficult to pass Mm -hmm. it's very hard and then once you get your n you have that for two years and you are limited to only two other people in the no only one other non-family member in the vehicle. Yeah. So you can have, so like, for instance, I could drive with, I would drive home from school and I would drive with Eve, who was my sister and her friend yeah. who was not related to me, okay. but we couldn't have another person in the car who also wasn't related to us. Yeah. So I couldn't bring a friend home, but we could have like mom in the car with us. Sure. Sure. Um, And then after those two years of having your N, yeah. you can take your test for your full license. Yeah. So you, you don't get, oh, and then also when you have your N, you can't have any level of blood, al- blood alcohol. Mm-hmm. Also for your L, you can only drive during daytime hours. You yeah. can't drive after, like between, That's right. like after dusk or before mm-hmm. dawn. I was commenting on that the other day when I saw, was following a person driving very slowly as a learner and it was, it was dark. Oh. I was like, they shouldn't even be on the road driving. No, they should not be. Yeah. Um. And people do break these rules sometimes. Of course. Right? Of course. I drove with more than one person in the car. I think <gasps> the most I drove with was four other people in the car. Sure. <laughs> Maybe five? That's okay. We went through, we went through with six of six of us in the Yaris. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, we, I, I was driving us, 
like three blocks to get pizza. Mm-hmm. No, more than that. But it was like, it was not far. Don't even tell me your past sins, Mary. It's fine. Yeah. You're a teenager. It's all, it's all understandable. We were going like from a friend's house to get, oh, we went to Fresh Slice. Oh my gosh. That was the, that's that the, was the worst sin. part that's of that That's the bigger whole. sin of that story. <laughs> not that you're driving with an extra person in the car, that you went to Fresh Slice. Not my How choice. How dare you, Mary? Not my choice. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about the ending of this movie. Imaginary movie, Mary. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're in this parking lot. Uh-huh. And I kind of picture the two characters talking. They're like standing on opposite sides of the car. Mm-hmm. And it's like a kind of a beater. Okay. Because it's owned by the girl. The girl's yep. kind of from the wrong side of the tracks kind of a thing. Yeah, sure. Guy, preppy guy. Uh-huh. She shouldn't like her. No. He shouldn't be in love with this girl. Right. But it turns out he is. Uh-huh. And the end of the movie, you know what? I don't like, I don't like kisses at the end of the movies. Okay. I feel it's kind of overdone. Yeah. I like it better when there's like a look between the characters. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. Melting heart. Mm. So anyway, so these two characters are like looking at each other and like they know. Yeah. This is it. They uh-huh. love each other. Right. They have to admit it. Yeah. Can't get up past yeah. it. This is how it's going to be. Yeah. The movie ends. Uh-huh. Let's listen to this song, everyone. Just picture your, your mind. Characters who love each other, mm-hmm. looking at each other's eyes. Uh-huh. In a parking lot. In a parking a lot. car. And then camera pulling up. And then you get that bird's eye view of the school, the suburb that the action's taking place in. Mm-hmm. And then it fades to black. Mm-hmm. And then this song continues to play over the credits. Okay. All right? Yep. So here we go. This is Char- Charlotte Hatherley from, as I said, 2004. And the song is called Grey Will Fade. Here we go. Turn your 
say Everything will be okay The grey will fade And there'll be rainbow skies above your face Let's go somewhere we don't know It's not running away Just trying to take control And we're back. This is a fun song. It is a good song, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. No, I'm glad I you like her it. singing a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it has that. I think it has that kind of like early 2000s indie rock Sloan of that era kind of sound. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I like that sound. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, because so um, Charlotte Hatherley began playing professionally as a musician when she was 15 years old. Wow. She was in a punk band called Night Nurse. And she played with them for That's about two... That's a cool name. Yeah, I like that name, too. I like What's the name Night Nurse. I think that used to be a Marvel character, Night Nurse. Hmm. And I was one time we were at a, a home of some wealthy people. They had a bunch of, like, old paperbacks up on their upper landing of their house. And one of the books was called Night Nurse. It was like a old paperback, you know, kind of a lurid-looking cover. Yeah. And I thought that was really appealing. Night Nurse is a comic book series published by Marvel Comics in the early 1970s. Some people thought the Rosario Dawson character in... Daredevil was Night Nurse, but they never identified her as such. Well, um, she did first appear in a Daredevil. Mm, okay. And, uh, oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. She didn't, she um, appeared in a Daredevil in 2004. Okay. As a medical professional specializing in helping injured superheroes as Night Nurse. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. So anyway, she was in this band called Night Nurse, which is unrelated to everything we're talking about right now. And... Uh, and then after after two years with them, she was invited to join the popular British group, Ash. Actually, they're a Northern Irish group, Ash. Because the leader of the group, this guy named Tim Wheeler, uh, had toured with Weezer. And he thought that the guitar interplay that Weezer was doing was really cool. And he couldn't do that because they were just a three-piece, the kind of power trio format. And so he, he wanted to be able to, 
to have someone to kind of play off of. And so he, he'd seen her playing with Night Nurse, and so he invited her to join the group. And so she played with Ash for about eight years. Uh, she contributed guitar and keyboards and wrote, wrote songs with them. She co-wrote three songs on the albums. And then, she, and then th- uh, another three of her songs, Taken Out, Gonna Do It Soon, and the original version of Grey Will Fade, were, which were all B-sides for different Ash songs. And maybe that was a contributing factor to her leaving, the fact that songs that she wrote by herself were not used on the actual albums, but were just used as B-sides. Maybe that was uh, off-putting. She was also weary of being the lone female member of an all-male rock band, sitting on a bus with 10 other people who are all guys because the, all the stage crew are guys. Right. And the manage, you know, the management company is all guys and the tour manager is a guy. And she's just like, you know, uh, the one girl in this totally male environment for eight years. I think it started to wear her down after a while. And so she, so she decided to leave the group amicably in 2004. So she was simultaneously recording Ash's album Meltdown and, while she worked on her own solo album with the producer Rob Ellis, uh, who t- for me is best known for his production work with PJ Harvey, um, but he played drums on the album. And then the only other musician on the album was Eric Drew Feldman, who played keyboards. And if you're a Captain Beefheart fan, then you know who Eric, Eric Drew Feldman was because he played on Ice Cream for Crow and and uh, and the other one at the radar station, whatever that one was called, something at the radar station. What was that one called, everyone? Ah, uh-huh. Sh- Shiny Beast, Bat Chain Puller, and something at the radar station. I'm sorry, I can't remember what it was. Anyhow, he played played with. Uh, Captain Beefheart of that era, and it's done like a, with a lot of other bands. He's kind of like a keyboardist, guitarist for hire. But I kind of thought it was when I was reading that I was kind of chuckling that she left this all male environment of Ash, and then she goes produced by Rob Ellison, <laughs> and the only other guy was Eric Drew Feldman. Back to this all male environment. Hope you're enjoying this, Charlotte. And she has described the album as being her attempt to create XTC style music with B52s vocals over it. Huh. I don't know if she really succeeded. I think she's more more melodic than the B52s and, yeah. and XTC, but. But yeah, I think it's a really great song. And that's what it made me think of when I first time I heard it was, oh man, this would be such a great song to end a movie. <laughs> yeah. Because it really has like that kind of feeling of like, you know, like credit sequence song. And yeah. So, so much you use it. Actually, her first two singles, or first two videos that came out, came out on this album were directed by Edgar Wright. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. And that's why they feature like um, people they work with, like Simon Pegg and, mm. and other people who are mm-hmm. from that orbit. Cool. So there you go, everyone. I'll have to check out those music videos. Yeah. I just don't like music videos, but... Yeah, I'm not a big fan of them either, but... But yeah, you should uh, check out those music videos, I yeah. guess. All right, should we go on to your next song, maybe? Yes. Now, this song is Jana. I'm going to say Jana Hunter. It could be Yana Hunter, I don't know, but we'll say Jana. Probably Jana. Jana Hunter. The song is Vultures from her 2007 album, There's No Home. Let us listen to Jana Hunter, everyone. <laughs>
Mary, we're back. Mary, what did you think of Vultures by Jenna Hunter? I liked it a lot. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I like the style of music a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the singing, I like the guitar, etc. <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot too. I really like her I really like their voice. Uh, and I say their voice because uh, Hunter came out as gender fluid okay. in two thousand fifteen. Actually maybe I should say her his voice because uh, two thousand nineteen he announced that he preferred the pronouns he him. Okay. And was going to undergo testosterone treatment and possibly top surgery, as it's now called, and not a mastectomy. I don't know why that's why they're two different things, but I guess one is a well, medical procedure associated with with cancer. Yeah, one is. Well, I think. But you that, could have your breast removed as a as a, um, and it's still called a mastectomy if you do it as a as a like um, an elective treatment. Elective treatment because you're yeah. worried about breast cancer. So right, but I think that the reconstruction is different. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, okay. I think that that's like the the differing element mm. is that, um, yeah, there's just different levels of reconstruction in sure. both because they're they ha- they have different goals, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, so Hunter is a Baltimore-based musician who now leads a band called Lower Dens. This time she was singing as a solo artist with you know a lot of supporting people. Um, he was um, an acolyte of Devendra Banhart. I said acolyte of Devendra Banhart, but he was super Devendra Banhart with his was this guy who kind of revived revive freak folk in the in the 2000s in the in the early 2000s and became like a sort of really famous guy because of it in, in musical circles and you just you, it felt like for a while there you couldn't like read a music magazine without devendra banhart being mentioned or appearing in some way or being related to something that you're reading about and so this and hunter's first album which is called uh blank unstaring airs of doom both this album which is there's no home and her first album blank unstaring um, his first album Oh, sorry. His first album, thank you. That's okay. Came out on No Mon Song, the the record label is called, which was founded by Banhart and Andy Kabik of Vetiver, who I should have seen, but I didn't, Mary. No, why not? Well, because because you got the day wrong and showed up a week late. No, thank, oh. thank you for pointing out that past no, error. You're welcome. That... I'll we'll bring it up forever. <laughs> <laughs> We're your family, <laughs> so. But no. Because Michael Hurley was opening for the group. Oh, okay. And so we went down to watch the show yes. to see Michael Hurley. Obviously, that yeah, was why we course. went there. Vetiver. So I went with a bunch of people mm-hmm. who, when Michael Hurley was finished playing, said Vetiver, and then they wanted to leave. And so right. then I was with them, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess we'll leave." Yeah. And so I never saw Vetiver play, which I kind of wish I had of, because I yeah. did pay to see both both groups yeah. play. But everyone was just kind of like, "Well, we saw Michael Hurley. That's what we came." Yeah. Well, it's like. And by the way, hmm? your mum. Yes. Who does in no way like Michael Hurley, as, no. you, as you all know, really enjoyed him live. Oh, good. Like, really enjoyed That's him good. playing live. Well, mom, you and mom both really like live music. And I think that there is something. Yeah. I think that often if you, even if you don't enjoy like listening to music when you're just like in the car or like sitting around at home. Yeah. Like there is, a, there's, it. it is kind of, it's different to see it live, mm-hmm. right? Because it's less, not less about the music, but it is like yeah. more about the performance. It's, dyna- it's a dy- dynamic yeah. experience for sure. Yeah. It's like going to see a play. It's more mm-hmm. dynamic than seeing a yeah. movie or something. Like, like if that. you watch, like I find that watching a play on TV is really boring. No, no point. Um, but watching a play in person is like, because yeah, there you have like the more immersive element of yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can do smaller things in yeah. a play than you can in a movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it plays better because yeah, and like, it's more dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. And things, things are able to be smaller mm-hmm. in plays, right? Because you you have such a captive audience yeah. and like it's just it's more real to have smaller things happen in like right directly in front of you versus smaller things happening on a tv yeah i once saw a play it was two guys mm-hmm. the play was it was it was roy and walt disney okay on the eve 
like on the eve of the release of Snow White. Okay. Waiting to find out what happened with Snow White. Yeah. Because their entire futures depended on the success yes. of that animated movie. Otherwise, yeah. they were doomed and they'd have to declare bankruptcy and close wow. the studio. And that's what the play is about. Yeah. That's quite a good play. Hmm. It's very gripping. Yeah. And it's but just, it, it it's just be, two guys talking. <clears throat> it would be boring as a movie. Yeah. But it was great as a mm-hmm. as a, as a movie. <clears throat> or maybe, me, maybe it would be like My Dinner with Andre. It was the My Dinner of Andre. I find that movie very good, actually. I really enjoy that yeah. movie. But, but I think, but that was written as a movie. It was not written yes, as a play. Yes, that is a difference. Yeah. And I do often find that movies that are written as plays initially are not very good unless they are like majorly changed, mm-hmm. like War Horse, <laughs> which had all the things I should have liked in it. Yeah. War. Yeah. Horse. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, and I was so bored. I was so <laughs> bored. That was the that was the, I think I think that was the most bored I've been watching a movie. Huh, like I'll watch bad movies in a movie theater and be like, it's bad, but at least it's fun. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. I saw the that King Arthur movie. Sure, King Arthur. Um, that came out in like 2018, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, it was so bad. The Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah, the Guy Ritchie one. I went to the bathroom at one point, and I came back, and I was like. I, like, went to the bathroom. I usually don't go to the bathroom during movies. I went just because I was, like, this scene is really long. I think I'm just going to go pee, see if I got any texts, you know? Yeah, I feel like I don't mind that movie. I feel like there's one part of the film that kind of it kind of sinks. When they're in the cave or whatever? I don't know if it's a cave. I think it's when they go to London. They're just kind of hanging around in a room in London. Oh, okay. That whole sequence, I just, it was so, I couldn't understand. I didn't know why they're bothering to do what they're doing. Yeah. And it's kind of. There's was, a lot of that movie where I was like, why are they doing it's this? It's kind of enervating and you're just like, meh. Yeah. Well, that's going on. Um, but like even then, like it's still you know movie. People are still doing stuff. But War Horse, no, so boring. The dullest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> no, that's not true. But the dullest movie I've ever seen in a theater for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you ready to move on to your next song? Yeah. What's our next song? Our next song is War Horse. Uh oh. Oh no. <laughs> the theme from War Horse. <laughs> oh, this is uh. Yeah, who who made this? Uh, who made this mixtape? Eve putting soundtracks on it. All right, Mary. I want you to guess who the next band is. I want you to guess. I don't know. Well, it's field music. You could have just guessed. Oh. You could have just guessed randomly. There might be field music. Yeah, you, you're right. Just you, like statistically. <laughs> statistically speaking. <laughs> well, we haven't had one yet. Yeah. So field music. Yeah. And this is like totally one of those things to me. It feels like I've got two minutes to fill. Who's going to fill it? Field music. Oh, here's the song I like. This is uh, field music. The song is Precious Plans from their 2010 album, which is untitled. So it could be called field music, but most people call it Measure. And that's kind of the name it's been it's gotten over time so let's give a listen to precious plans everybody here we go Plans. 
Where are those futureless, precious plants where we have a place to get to? A place that lasted with nowhere past it. What do you think of Precious Plants by Feel Music? Um, a band that you often don't like. I like this song. Oh wow! I like the singing. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a sad sound, but mm-hmm. I was pretty into it. Yeah, there was a guitar bit. Yeah. that reminded me of Osmi Tanches. Oh, okay. did you hear that guitar bit? There was it was like at the beginning a little bit, and sure. then it came up a little bit later. No, I don't know. Oh, re-listen to, to it with that in mind, and I will. I will. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I really like the song. I think it's kind of fun because it ends just as it begins. Like, it feels like it's just starting to build up into something, and then it's just kind of like, eh, it's over now. See ya. <laughs> We're done. You're like, wow, that's a weird way to end a song. Uh, yeah, but it, but then it's from the album Measure, as I said, and the idea of Measure, there's two two discs. It's a, two, it's a double disc album, because this album was from their, suppo- their so-called second phase of field music. So they had just come off of a two-year hiatus. They had basically quit being field music two years before, after after Tones of Town did nothing. And they were like, well, let's stop being field music then. So they, they, they went on to do other projects. And then I guess sort of the inevitable thing, since they're brothers, they kind of got back together again and started recording together. And then they went, I guess we're making a field music album. So field music was reborn. <laughs> and the idea of this record was, and they had a lot of songs, I guess, uh, in, you know, in their, up their sleeve because yeah. they had not been doing that. Field music for a while. So the first disc is all like kind of traditionally structured songs. Mm-hmm. And the second disc, which this song comes from, is more kind of experimental songs. And so I can kind of see that in this song, which is kind of like builds to a climax. It doesn't really happen. Right. Which I, which I find kind of appealing and kind of sort of fun, but other people might find kind of frustrating. Yeah. Time will tell, I guess. But we've talked many times about field, field music. music. I don't think there's anything left to say about field music. They're not. Dad likes them. Yep. I'm... I rate. It depends on the song for me. And everyone, if you like them, they have a, they have a podcast on now called Field... Uh, called Field Music Cast. Hmm, cool. Which I recommend. It's basically a uh, a structured walkthrough of their most recent album. So oh, if cool. you can listen to a song and then you can listen to them talk about the song. Just like completely Beatles. Yes. But by the people who made by the By the song. people who know something about music. Unlike the two goofballs who did the Beatles. <laughs> um, hey, have we talked about the Murder Records podcast on here? We, we haven't, no. Well, we should, since we're talking about a band's podcast, we should mention that Murder Records of Sloan 
and local rabbits mm-hmm. and super 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 friends, friends super friends oh, super friends the inbreds um yeah thresh hermit bands that we have talked about on here bands yeah. we've featured on here they have a podcast so yeah. you should listen to it i haven't listened to it yet but dad has oh yeah it's quite good it's, yeah. it's a sort of fun walk through the first one was the first one was kind of more about the friend of theirs who had passed away recently and they had decided to to like kind of compile a bunch of tapes that he had left behind oh, okay into an album yeah and so that was very that was quite interesting cool and then and then yeah the more recent ones like more, more recently they've been going through all the singles they they, they put out a single collection oh yeah of 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 singles Sloan's they put out. B-sides? B-sides not just, not just, no, not Sloan, but oh, Murder okay. Records singles. So, oh, cool. So it has like local rabbits. Cool. Like a, a a version of You're Such a Stupid Idiot that is different than on the... On the oh, on, that's on, fun. Uh, you Can't Touch This and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, it sounds really cool. So that is, that is available on Bandcamp if you're cool. interested in picking up that collection of singles. What's it called? Do you know? Oh, I can't remember now. Sorry. That's all right. I'm sure we can... Yeah. Everyone can figure that out for themselves. Yeah. I'll Do put, some legwork, you guys. I can put a link. Don't expect to be spoon-fed these... Uh... <laughs> yeah. What do you think this is? You bunch of babies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mary, I think we're, I think we're alienating our, our listeners. Ah, I don't care. Do your own research, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I should just throw away all this paper I've got in my hands. Yeah, True. <laughs> well, before I do that, let's go down to the next song. All right, this is field music. Um, you guys just look it up yourselves. We're, what are we here for? <laughs> oh, ungrateful. All right, Dad, what's the next song? <laughs> the next song is Lyle Lovett. Okay. This is a uh, Christmas morning. Oh yeah. From the road to Ensenada. Uh, that came out. The, the album came out. Why in 1996. was this one not on your Christmas mix? Why is this here? Well, because this was already on a mixtape. Okay. That was on before I ever did, before I ever thought of doing a mix, right. a Christmas mix okay. or anything. So, so this I guess was, you couldn't, this was I the, guess you this, couldn't move it. Yeah, this now. came from 2017, Mary, <laughs> so I couldn't go back in time and remove it. <laughs> and also, Uncle David put it on his, or David M put it on his oh, did he? mix tapes when he did, when we did his, the huh. Christmas ones with him. Oh, that's right. I thought this song was familiar. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I think I remember this band or this song. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. But I'd already done it, so I couldn't tell tell david he couldn't put the song on a mix because right. that's rude yes he's a guest he's a guest yeah. in our in our listening party he's a guest you're in like looking room. through the songs like nope 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 yeah. done it sorry get out of here with your basic songs yeah i don't want any more of these <laughs> wassailing songs so yeah no then it was uh so yeah so he he did it first i know but i did it first uh-huh then he did a second right and i'm doing it again right third third, <laughs> third but also first all right so yeah so, I mean, I guess technically we've already talked about this song, too. Sure, I mean, but, this but is... we should probably listen to it before we yeah, talk we should. about it. But, I mean, this has happened a couple other times with ones from my mixtape. Yeah, where yeah, I made a yeah, mix, and, yeah, yeah. and then you, you should... had the songs also, but later, yeah, like yeah. a loser. <laughs> Came in second. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Brimful Vasha, yawn. Done, did that. Sorry, Dad. You snooze, you lose. <laughs> That'll teach you for showing me cool songs when I was growing up. <laughs> Yep. All right, so let's listen to Christmas Morning, everybody. Oh, okay, yeah. Through me with eyes cold as ice. Well, she 
as I should have agreed. But hey, what could she mean by that? Perhaps I'm the fool she takes me for. Not anything more. I guess it's a season, the time of the year. People are happy and full of good cheer. Well, I wish you and kiss you and wish you. I'm the fool they take me for. Not anything more. You stood at the altar and you held my hand, and everyone watched. I'm the fool you take me for And not anything more Now each Christmas morning I sit in my chair And I look up at the angels I And we're back. And this song is interesting to me. We talked about this song before. I just want to say one thing about it, which I, because as you know, Mary, uh-huh. Lyle Lovett uh-huh. married Julia Roberts, the world famous actress. Oh, okay. In the in the in the late nineties. And but had, she was famous in the late nineties, or he married her in the late nineties. Married in the late nineties, very famous. Okay. She was very famous at the time. Yeah, yes, that was, she was kind of her height of her fame, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, either could have been appropriate based on the sentence and history. Oh, okay. So I, I just wanted saying, some yeah. clarification. Sure. Yeah, they met doing Robert Altman's film, The Player. Oh, okay. Was he? Did he do a soundtrack on it or something? No, he was. He acted in. He played oh. a policeman <laughs> in the movie. And he acted in four different Robert Altman films. Oh, interesting. And did the music for a fifth. Hmm. But. He he was in that movie, and they met Julie Roberts, and they got married, and they were married for about a year, year or two years, and then they divorced. Okay. And the reason it was it was an amicable divorce, we were told, and they separated because of career related you know, reasons. Career related reasons. They yeah. just couldn't, you know, they couldn't live together. I mean, I imagine it would be hard. I can't imagine how like actors 
and like musicians have relationships with people who also well with people who also do that because mm-hmm. it's like if you're like filming a thing and you have to go somewhere to do yeah, that you do have to go some, somewhere and then else, the yeah. other person is maybe like someone say yeah say you're an actor and you're married to a musician and like they're on tour and your and schedules don't necessarily yeah, match Yeah, and you're, like, either. at home, yeah. but they'd go on tour, and then you, like, they come back, but then you have to go to Florida to film a movie in yeah. Florida or yeah. whatever. But they're you're... busy. They're busy with other things, so they can't yeah. come with you. Yeah, exactly. And they have, vice- like, they're, yeah. like, they have to make a, a record, because they've yeah. got, like, a record deal coming up, so that yeah. they have to, like, you know, do that to mm-hmm. fulfill their contracts yeah. so they don't get sued. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, just doesn't... I can see how that can could not work out. I think yeah. that it would take... People who have a lot of power and also already have like money and like can afford to say no to projects mm-hmm, that would mm-hmm. um, yeah. like separate them or be like um, or be willing to say no to projects. Yeah, look, people who are successful are often workaholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, true. And, and have trouble you know putting anything mm-hmm. else above their their careers. So. Yeah, or be like Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prinze Jr., where you like are basically retired and you just like do some stuff. Is that the case? They're both pretty much retired? I think so. They What, what are they doing now? Well, maybe they're not asked to do things as the other, the other thing. I think they would be. They're both... I mean, even, like... Yeah, it's been quite a while since they've been, like, super active, you mm-hmm. know? And they were, like, big names. Well, she was. What was he a big name from? Uh, Don't tell me Scooby-Doo. He was... I feel like he had a name for stuff. No, no am I wrong? I, I, I mean, maybe, but I, I don't remember him. Maybe he might have been in some TV show or something that I didn't know about. The thing, of, thing in this song is this the 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 verse about the mer- the wedding. Oh well, he was in "I Know What You Did Last Summer." Okay. Yep, one movie, everyone. <laughs> sure, Michelle Geller was also in, I believe. So yeah, I that's think that's where, where they, they met. met. That must be where they met. But yep, that's it. One big movie. Mary's looking crestfallen. Uh, uh, her 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 smile went upside down. <laughs> I was just reading. <laughs> he was in. Yep. Scooby-Doo. Don't say the Scooby Doo movies. I said Scooby Doo before you that. said that. I couldn't say it. I uh, know. I said it earlier. <laughs> yeah. You can't say those movies because that's it. But like he wasn't. Because that's a... the weird thing with the Scooby Doo movies. He's in the Scooby Doo movies, yeah. and you felt like, and people are making like a fuss about him being in the movie. And you're like. But he's no one. Yeah. Like, he's not well-known. Like, right. Yeah. He's been in a movie. Mm-hmm. His but dad I mean, I was famous. That, I think that he was one of those people. He was in, um, he was in, like, I know what you did last summer. He was in She's All That. I think he was, like, popular with, like, teen girls. Okay. Right? Good like, that was kind of his, sure. his niche. Sure. Which also makes sense that you would age out of it. Yeah. Like, now he mostly, he's been doing, like, he did, like, voice roles and, like, TV cameo mm-hmm. type, type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which... Yeah, like if you've got now he's actually in the Punky Brewster movie. Oh, okay. I mean TV show. Okay. Um, but their kids are also older now. Like he stopped. He didn't make anything for a few years after his kids were born. Huh. Well, no, I don't. I mean, if you, I mean, obviously Sarah Michelle Gellar is probably very well off and has yeah. TV residuals and stuff like that. She mm-hmm. can live on quite comfortably for the rest of her life. Yeah. I don't blame anyone. You know, that's what people say is that you should live off. You should live off the sweat of your youth. Yeah. You know, like you put in the time when you're young and then you can live live off that when you're older. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the same, right? She's done some voice episodes. Mm-hmm. She was in a one TV show for a year, 2013, 2014. Um, but yeah, other than that, she hasn't really done much, mm-hmm. which like, it, it, like I'm sure that she could if she tried to, but she's just not. She just hasn't really like been trying to do stuff since her kids were born. Yeah. Which is fair if you've got two kids. Yep. You know, and do a husband, thing. and you've got a lot of money. Do your thing. Because you're Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. You know. 
do your thing. Yep. But yeah, I was going to say the thing I find interesting in this song is the wedding sequ- the wedding verse of this song where, you know, he's talking about the bride and then she said she would and then he asks, hey, what did she mean by that? Perhaps she's takes me for, you know, t- perhaps she thinks I'm the, f- or perhaps I'm the fool she takes me for. Mm-hmm. Which I've often thought of as a reference to Julia Roberts, but if their relationship was a- amicable, yeah, then it doesn't make sense. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, it could just, it doesn't have to be based on real life, right? He did write a song for her on the Rotan Sonata called The One-Eyed Fiona. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. But I mean, the other thing is, I think even when a, I think even when a separation is amicable, like even when you are like, this isn't going to work for logistic reasons, you will still be kind of hurt, yeah. right? Like there will still be, like you you are still a human being with emotions and a relationship ending, f- yeah. even if it's for good reason, will still make you sad unless yeah. you're like a robot. <laughs> I am so sad. Yeah. Also, can I just say yeah. um, to you, dad, mm-hmm. I don't like country music, Dedrick. Yeah. What about that? What are you going to say? Uh, oh, I was just going to say the song's fine. <laughs> You don't like it? No, it's it's fine. Like it's not bad. Mm. Um, it's kind of it's a little bit too. I prefer. I tend to prefer my country songs yes. a little bit more fun uh, as opposed to sappy. That's not Levitt's normal thing, though. Like this. Uh, this that's is, fine. This the this album and the one before it. I love everybody. Are probably the two most to me approachable albums by him. Yeah. I don't enjoy his early, like his more countryish early albums yeah. a lot. I you know I I listen to them and they're fine. I particularly don't like like Joshua Judge's Ruth. I find that album kind of boring. Yeah. But, and then I have to admit that I kind of fell off the bus at some point. I was regularly buying his CDs for quite a while. And then, yeah. And then I think a live one came out and I didn't want to buy it. Mm. And then I, after that, once I broke the chain, I just yeah. I could never get quite, quite get back into it again. So, um, yeah. But I really think those two albums are super, super approachable and, and more mm-hmm. less country and more kind of singer-songwriter. They're, they're pretty country. You, you're just saying you're just arguing it because you don't like country music. Yeah, it doesn't have the the tropes of country music that I don't, that don't appeal to me. But I, I mean, you're thinking like you're thinking like um, like uh, radio country rock. Yep. Which is bad. Yeah. Indisputably bad. <laughs> but like, their country is yeah. like a larger genre past that, mm. right? With a lot of emphasis on singer songwriter, especially when you get more into like more independent or older stuff. You know. Sure. Like. Um, Ian Tyson is a lot more similar to La Lovett than he is to anyone that you would find on the country music stations mm. playing I think in of, every... I think of him as a folky, though, since he started off as a folk singer. Ian Tyson. He's yeah. a country singer, for uh-huh. sure. Yeah. I don't listen to that Ian Tyson, I guess. I listen to you, um, You're Still on My Mind. You're, you're Always on My Mind? You're Always on My Mind? Okay. Le- yeah. Time, Ian Tyson. I listen... Ian I only... Sylvia. I exclusively listen to his song, MC Horses, because it makes me cry every time. <laughs> Let <laughs> me not listen to that song. <laughs> All right, let's let speaking of listening to songs, let's listen yep. to another song. Dear. Okay, what's our next song? Our next song is Super Furry Animals. Okay, from their an album that I buy them that I I think I like this album by them and no other album by them that much. Yeah, like I think some of their songs are okay. Okay, but this album rings around the world. It's just like it's great. It's a great album. It has lots of great songs in it. And I must have just got it when I was doing these mixes because I I obviously like used it like three different times. Right, pulled three different songs from it. Yeah. I think. Anyway, so this okay. is this is Run Christian Run. Okay. From uh, Rings Around the World. Let's give it a listen, everyone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
right, and we're back. And that was Super Furry Animals with Run Christian Run. And Mare. Yes. Uh, taking a look at your, your notes. Uh-huh. What did you think of uh, this song? Um, Dad. Yeah. I'm worried about you. Why? Because you just put two sad country songs <laughs> in country a row. Song. <laughs> it's not a country song. Did you get sad while making this this oh, mix? Maybe I did. I don't know. Right in the middle, you yeah. just got like real sad and had to put two sad songs in a row. Maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, it's possible. I like the song. Oh, okay, it's good, good, good. Yeah, it did make me feel sad, but not in a bad way. <laughs> Why did it make you feel sad? It's a sad song. Is it? Yes. Oh, sad. That was sort of more of a put down song, I guess. But well, I don't listen. I didn't listen to the lyrics. Very okay, well. okay. Slash at all. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's that sad. I mean, it's got a, it's got a pretty Plus, fun, I don't pretty speak, fun ending. I don't speak Welsh. I don't think they had any Welsh lyrics in the song. But, uh, yeah, I think it's. I don't know. It has kind of a. You know, you know the reason I like it is because it ends with a lot of like noise. Yeah, so. you like that. And actually, I think the song ends a little too soon. I think the guitar is just sort of getting to get going. Oh, okay. It is. A, it is an awful lot like the field music song before it, in that it ends before it begins. To me, anyway, like I feel like, like they really could have like gone even further with with the electric guitar and the the combination of the electric guitar and the and the squelching noises of some sort of mm-hmm. uh, moog device or something like that where they you know like a i just i really like that uh, i really like what they do there this this album is like full of that where they combine the guitars with with uh electronic accompaniment or almost doubling i guess what the guitar is doing but it's yeah it's i don't know if it's being played by the like i don't know if it's attached to what the guitar is doing if you know what I mean, like if it's electronically doubling the guitar, or yeah. if it's just someone else playing along and, and just sort of adding their own their own tw- twist to it. Mm. But I like mm. it. I like it quite a bit, and I wish it kind of. I do wish it went on a bit longer. I know the song is long anyway. It's a thing around six minutes or over six minutes. Yeah. But but uh, I think it could use another minute of of heavy guitar riffing and mm. uh, and squelching noises. That's funny because you are someone who says that you don't like very long songs. You uh, often complain that songs are too long. <laughs> well, okay. Now, I don't think instrumental songs are too long. Oh. What I think are songs that repeat the vo- the verse chorus verse structure for 4 minutes, that's mm-hmm. too long to me. Mm-hmm. Like no song, no song. Yeah. is that great that it that it needs to have like repeat itself for 4 minutes, mm-hmm. you know. Mhm. I mean, there's songs that I mean, we've played so- songs in this show that are 4 minutes long. And I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm okay with it. It's just sometimes it's boring to me. Uh it does if you know, if you have like some things that happen outside of just the regular verse chorus verse structure of the song mm-hmm. that's you know can make it bearable right but yeah just to me like the need nowadays it's just radio radio demand that singles be you know four to five minutes long right has this really led to this really attenuation of the songs where they're not adding any there's no value added to to having it two minutes longer than it needs to be it's just because radio wants you know, wants that for whatever reason they want to play less songs. I guess they pay less money that way. So mm-hmm. the more song, the more the fewer songs you play during the during the show, then the cheaper it is to have the show. And that may be a contributing factor. I don't know because you know when you think of the '60s, where you couldn't get a song played if it was over two and a half minutes. So often bands would lie on their on the time times on their singles mm-hmm. to hide the fact that the song was closer to to three minutes than it was to two and a half minutes. Right. And they kind of fudge it that way. Yeah. And just hope it got by. Hmm. And maybe, you know, so it might be a combination of bands pushing to do longer songs and the radio going, okay, if that's what you want, then this actually works out for us, you know, monetarily. But 
you know, like this is no reason because mm-hmm. once you get once you hear once you know the tune, right? There's no need to go on with the song after that. Mm-hmm. Like we get it. So yes, yes and no. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna be standing up and tell, you know yelling at John Coltrane for for playing uh, my favorite things for 20 minutes. Right. You know, quit extemporizing on this song. <laughs> this should be two and a half minutes. Yeah, you're not like, wow, hey, Jude is good, but why does it need to be seven seven minutes long? Well, to be honest with you, I do feel that way a little bit about Hey Jude. <laughs> like, I do think it kind of goes on a little too long. It does go on a little bit too long. I was yeah. listening to it the other day, and I was like, they could have cut this a bit shorter. <laughs> well, Jimmy Webb insisted that the Beatles only made Hey seven Jude. Seven minute long songs. Only made it as long as they did to be slightly longer than MacArthur Park. Oh. Which is possible. I mean, MacArthur Park, in a way, deserves it more than Hey Jude, because it's, you know, it's in like different sections there's different sections of the right. song you and know, macarthur there's... park is more of a ballad yeah right well the hey jude is a ballad too not well it's a ballad it's not a pop it's not a poppy upbeat song it's a it's, it's, kind a, of a... it's a pretty fun song at the end of the song it gets fun whole... no, and, and that's kind of the point of it fun. and that's kind of the point of it right is that the end of the song is that you make a sad song and make it better and that's yeah. what the end part of the song is and so that works to me but i just think it kind of goes on a little too long but hey it's the beatles you just take take what they give you because it's going to be good anyway. But yeah, sometimes, and also you know sometimes these things can can kind of pale after a while when you've heard it a whole bunch of times. But I don't have much to say about Super Furry Animals other than I like this song and I I like the fact that there's a melodica in it and I like the fact that oh yeah sorry, there's squelching sorry. noises. Can I just quickly say yeah um hey Jude uh it says after the fourth verse the fourth fourth verse yes now versed. Yes. Not okay. what I was trying to say. Yeah. After the fourth verse, yeah. the song shifts to a coda featuring a na 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 refrain that lasts for over four minutes. <laughs> yeah. So the song itself is three minutes. So the coda is longer than the song. Yeah. I wonder if that's the. I wonder if that's the test that your song should be longer than your coda. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I when I was a kid, that song was like A B to Stairway to Heaven. At, at always a top song when the radio did it, it's like most popular songs of the year, or whatever around New Year's. And that those I remember those two songs being uh, always you know kind of it could be either one of them you just didn't know from year to year but yeah. it, generally it was the one of those songs would be right there so it's definitely like people disagree with me so what do I know yeah nothing well, that's I mean, the word you know art is uh, pretty, pretty subjective there you go you know and so I was gonna say we we've talked about rings around the world before so I'm not gonna yeah, I mean, we've talked details. about super furry animals a fair amount. We have, we have. They're, they are, we are no stranger to them. <laughs> we are no stranger to them. So, except literally, because we don't know them. We don't, yeah, that's true. We don't know them, except through their songs. And now yes. I feel like I know them better than anyone on earth. Right. Through their songs. Yes. Just like all other bands, I feel like yeah. there's no one who knows them better than I do. Mm-hmm. Because I've listened to their songs. Right. What's the name for that? That kind of, that kind of relationship? I don't know. Unhealthy? <laughs> no, there's like, it's it's more a thing that exists since the internet. Okay. Where people form these relationships with, um, especially people who are internet fa- internet famous. Okay. Where they think that they're like, they're friends. Uh-huh. And they feel like that person like, owes them more, like they, they mm-hmm. should have a relationship more like a friend yeah. than like a relationship between like an artist and uh, someone who consumes that art, mm-hmm. you know? Well... I think stuff, but I do think like YouTube and and podcasts do mm-hmm. promote a particularly podcast. I think promote an intimacy between the listener yeah. and the and 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 the the, the podcast host mm-hmm. that's more feels like more than just um, you know just like a kind of listener 
Yeah. Entertain well, yeah, especially if it's one, especially if it like with a when you're reading a book, mm-hmm. you're not reading it for the artist or for the writer, yeah. right? You're reading it for the story, mm-hmm. even if it's like a even if it's an author you like, yeah, even if it's an author like, or even you're if not, it's like you're an not auto- connecting that story to them, yeah, or even if it's like an autobiography or a, oh yeah autobiography, there is still a level of separation there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like when you're listening in your headphones to someone talk about their life, yeah. Yeah, that it makes you feel like you are friends, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what friends do. They talk about their life. Yeah. And so you're like talking about their life and they joke around. Yeah. And so when you're when you have that, you're kinda like, Oh, like we're we're friends yeah, now, I right? I could wish I could joke around with them. Yeah. I bet if I met them. Yeah, oh totally. We could like joke around together. Yeah. And I mean I remember on one I mean like that's that is a thing that I think has always existed. Mm-hmm. As like as long as people have been making art that it, like going out to people they don't know. Yeah. I remember one time listening to a podcast and someone was talking about um, seeing in, in New York, it was like a film forum or whatever, where they played like a couple of different select movies, but they had been movies selected by Woody Allen. Okay. So he wasn't playing his own movies. He yeah. was playing other movies that were important to him. Sure. And then he was like, oh, does anyone have any questions? Not about my movies, <laughs> but about the, the movies we played. Yeah. Because they're very special to me. Yeah. And... He said it was all these people, mostly like Jewish New York yeah. adults, yeah. like adult to like middle-aged to like older people sure, sure. getting up and just telling these stories about the first, like how much they love his work. Yeah, yeah. And it, <laughs> the person telling the story was like, it was Elliot Kalin from the Flophouse. Yeah. He was saying it was like they were wanting the reaction of Woody Allen to say, no one has ever understood my art like you. Let's go get dinner and be best friends. And it's like, that's not, you're not going to get that reaction from yeah, someone, right? Yeah. Like, and especially not when they're sitting up on a stage and you're down at a microphone in a theater. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's not, yeah. No, that's my least favorite. Parasocial uh, relationship. Parasocial. Nice. Nice. That's I've never heard of it, but I, I like that. Yeah. Because it has parasite sounding in it, so it's, it makes it seem <laughs> yeah. unhealthy. But I don't know if it's completely unhealthy. I no, think, I don't think it's unhealthy. I think that it can be. I think it could be, yes. But I think yeah. I think in terms of, I mean, we often get that, like Ian and I often get that from listeners. And I really like that listeners listen to our show and feel, that it feels like friends talking to friends. Yeah. And I do like that, that there's that level of, of mm-hmm. intimacy between mm-hmm. the listeners and, and, and us. Yeah. Like I find that very appealing, but I do think that could also be unhealthy. But yeah. I don't, I don't think listeners have made it unhealthy though. No, but that's the thing, right? Like it, I think that your audience tends to be more adult as well, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, like for example, the McElroys tend to have listeners who are teenagers, okay. like late teenagers, like yeah. in their twenties, people. Sure, sure. And I know that they have had to take a lot of steps, like they had to remove themselves from all their Facebook groups mm. because it was just like getting to be too much because mm. people would just like message them all the time. Like, do you want to be friends? <laughs> or like, I feel like I'm friends with you, yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, it was just like too difficult. So they had to like hand off all like the moderation because mm. I think it just got too big for them. Sure. Right. And it was well. just because of their their audience. Yeah. Yeah. So they did that with like all the different groups Especially, they, well, I mean, they're a big part of gaming culture yeah. too, right? And I mean, so that's, they also have... That's a, an unhealthy place to start with. Yeah. And then, you, you and then they also of... have like a lot of podcasts that they do as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's like if you're in like six different, like you're doing like six different podcasts and you're in like six different groups and you're trying to like moderate all of them and you also have all these people who are like, let's be best friends and you don't want to like let them down. Yeah, yeah. But then you also can't be best friends with them because you don't know them yeah. right yeah. and they know you but you don't know them and that's not a real friendship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting i'm talking to you people who've been messaging us on our forums at sneakydragon.com saying be my best friend 
Just kidding. We would love to see that. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. Okay, so, Mare. Dad? It's kind of, kind of, um, through, through, uh, I don't know what happened. Like, I think I took some songs off side one, uh, like side one in quotation marks. Okay, because you've this. only got 10 songs I've on only side got 10 one songs on side one. 12? 13 on 13, side. 13, okay. 13 on side, on side two. And the, a lot of those songs aren't short. So there's like a major, like, time. Yeah. Uh, so I think, but I wanted this song, I wanted Run Christian Run to be the final song. Because to right. me, that's like a great side ender. Yeah. And that's how I planned it. Mm-hmm. And I think I kept adding songs to the second half, right? And and ignoring the first half, and mm-hmm. and, cause I, and then I ended up with this kind of weirdly out, unbalanced right. disc. So what you're saying is our next episode is going to be even longer. <laughs> yes, that's how I like it anyway. So true. Um, <laughs> captive in here, <laughs> like leaning off the chair. <laughs> Dad, I don't want to hear anymore about super furry animals. My back hurts. <laughs> But what I thought would be kind of fun to do, and partly because I was panicking because I didn't think there was enough song, only 10 songs. I was like, well, that's that's not even the show. like 18 songs. I know, but that's because I kept adding songs because I was worried that we didn't have enough songs. And so I ended up adding a bunch of songs. And then, of course, the the, the, it rolled, it just got away from me, Mary. Got away from me. But it doesn't stop me from having already planned this, so I'm not going to not do it. No, we can't do more. Yeah, we can. We can do whatever I want. We've already gone for so long. I am king of this world. Ugh, this is serious now. Ugh. <laughs> Why? What is so, it? Well, I just wanted to play the two. I'm not going to go too much into the songs, but I just okay. wanted to play two of the songs that I cut off of the, I took oh, off the okay. CD. That's fine. Two songs. That's all right. <laughs> Plus, we're going to play another 13 songs that from a different mixtape that I thought these would be perfect, and then I end up not using that mixtape at all. And then I've got 25 songs that I went. No, I'm just joking, Mary. So we're just going to play two songs. <laughs> stomp, stomp, stomp. Mary leaves. S- Goodbye, Mary. Slam. <laughs> so the first song is a song by a guy named John Butler. It is from his album, The Loyal Serpent. This came out in 1997, and it's called Yes, I Do. And I obviously just heard this while I was going through songs, and then I was like, oh, I guess this would be fine. And then I put it on, and then I was kind of like, later on, I was kind of like, nah, I don't know if I want to put this on. I think it's okay, but it's, it's, it's not great. But I guess he was a member of a British group called Diesel Park West, who I don't even know who they are or anything about them. But I guess I heard this song on, a, on some sort of a compilation CD, so... I liked it and Wait, I put it into my mix. Are you listening to compilation CDs? Oh, I do a lot. I know, that was the, that was the joke. <laughs> you were listening to like some like 1,200 long, song long mix of Desert Island songs, weren't you? I was? Remember all those Desert oh, Island yeah, songs yeah, you yeah, listened yeah, to last right. summer? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That got unbearable though. It yeah. turns out that a lot of pe- those people and I didn't really share. It was unbearable for like the three hours I was in the car with you. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. But anyway, so this is, um, I, you should have said something at the time rather than say, say it now in front of all our friends, I'm all my sure, best friends. I'm pretty Mary. sure I did say it at the time, but <laughs> just because I say something doesn't mean you're going to listen, Dad. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's listen to Yes, I Do by John Butler. Here we go, everybody.
song's okay it's kind of got a stonesy sort of thing going for it but you know what it's one of those sort of things that is enjoyable a couple times and then it starts to pale after a few listens and then you go you know what there's other songs in the world i could probably put them on this instead and you know and because i was listening to other things i kept kind of uh putting other songs on until things got this song got forced off of it so I what do you think of it Mary? Uh, I thought it was good. Oh, you enjoyed it. Well, yeah it's good. i would yeah, like I mean, to have it on the mix like i don't think it was like a bad song no no i think no. it would have been good like filler yeah, yeah. No, no. But I used other fillers, so that's just the way it works. So, yeah, yeah. No, so I just changed my mind. I'm allowed to change my mind, you know. That's part of the, the process of making a mixtape is editing and stuff like that. All right, and so one more song. Uh, this is uh, The Whackers. Now, The Whackers actually grew out of a band that we played on our very first episode of Listening Party, a group called Roxy that did a song I love. I love the song. It's called Love, Love, Love. It's a fantastic song. It's, it's like the highlight of the album, Roxy, uh, which I found... 
used a long time ago in like a Cellian and and um, either in Abbotsford or Vancouver. I can't quite remember now, but it wasn't a definitely wasn't a thrift store. And it's got the ugliest cover you've ever seen in your life. And I just thought, well, this, you know, but it's cheap. So what the heck? And and I thought I recognized the name of one of the guys in the band. Well, two of the guys in the band, Bob Sigarini and Randy Bishop. And it turns out that that uh, the Whackers and Bob Sigarini and Randy Bishop both had like a lot of success in Canada. And after they were based in Los Angeles originally as Roxy. And then what, then they, when Roxy broke up, Bishop and Sigarini formed another band they were kind of the core, and they got some other guys, and they called themselves the Whackers, and they recorded an album called Whackering Heights, which I think is a great name. It is. It's funny. And then um, that album was produced by Gary Usher, who we were talking about on our last episode. We did a little Gary Usher mini documentary, because I think he's kind of undersung. And so he produced that first album, and then after that album, I don't know if they had like a lot of success with that album in Canada, because then they moved up. They moved up here. They moved to, to Montreal, and they were living in Montreal and, and recording and, and playing around in that area. And so they did another album called Hot Wax in 1972. And in the same year, they did an album called Shredder. And this song comes from that album, from Shredder. This was basically their final album. They did as a band, like, I think the ba- some of the members of the band left, but they kept going and they recorded one more album called Whack and Roll, but that never came out. So unfortunately, but, but uh, Shredder did. And so let's give a listen. This is a song called Day and Night. And I think this song is kind of fun. So let's give it a listen, everybody. Thank you. 
All right, and that that was uh, the Whackers, the Whackers with uh, night, day and night, or night and day, no, day and night. What'd you think of it, Mayor? It was okay. Oh, you didn't like it that much. It was okay. I was actually really enjoying it. I was kind of thinking, gee, I'm sorry I didn't put this on. Oh, it's very. I felt syn- that way about the first one. It's very syncopated. It's got a lot of uh, stuff going on in it, but I kind of liked how mm. it all was. I just didn't like the singing. Mm, okay. Yeah, I liked the music. Yeah. But the singing I found kind of irritating. Okay. A little, just like, I don't know, like, <laughs> meh. You know, like Fair the enough. lyrics are like, meh, I'm like, eh, you know. Fair enough. You know what, Mary, you're allowed to disagree with me. I know. You know. Also, you're not, no longer my will. But you're allowed to disagree with me. <laughs> As if I have a will. <laughs> As if I'm that Wait organized. A second. What? Huh? <laughs> Don't worry, Mary. It's all going to support turtles. Oh, good. And I mean the candy. Oh. Well, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So just one more thing to play before we wrap up the show today. And that, and that is... Uh, one more thing to play? Yeah. You said you had two more songs. I had two more songs, but this is not a song. So Ed Jurgansky wrote... Oh, okay. Wrote to us and he said, If it pleases the listening party court, I'm a Sagittarius... Hmm. Hmm. Let me think. <laughs> okay. We better let the court decide. I'll everyone. allow it. All right. Phew. I'm a Sagittarius and would love to hear my Gary Usher rock astrology reading. I hope he doesn't tell me to wear any bright colors. Well, let's see. I haven't listened to this, so I don't know. So we're going to listen to Sagittarius and find out all about Ed. Everything we didn't know about Ed, we're about to learn here. Everything you want to know about Ed, but we're afraid to ask. (laughs) If you were born November 22nd to December 21st, you're a Sagittarius, the ninth sign of the Zodiac. Your ruling planet is Jupiter. Your key word is aim. Your symbol is the archer. As a Sagittarius, you're a sign that has some of the greatest potentials in the zodiac. You have immense capacity for good if you can fix your attention on one thing at a time. If you try to do too much, and you usually do, you'll find yourself with no energy and few results. Your conversational brilliance can take you far in social life or business, and you're almost always entertaining. But watch for those sudden changes in mood. You may understand them, but others do not. Sagittarius is a fire sign, and your quick, flaming nature will combine well with those of your sister signs, Aries and Leo. An air sign, like Gemini, is best for love. As a Sagittarius, you should be very careful of your inclinations towards selfishness. You become easily hurt and discouraged if you feel you're not getting proper attention or praise. But you must realize that you're not the center of everyone's universe, but have to take your moments of limelight when they come. Your basic good nature and upbeat personality should be allowed to shine at all times. A classic example of the Sagittarian's ability to combine business and music is Frank Sinatra. Your lucky day is Thursday, and your lucky number is eight. Your gems are topaz and turquoise. Your color is blue. Money seems to be no problem to most Sagittarians unless they use it foolishly. Your struggle will be basically to hold on to money rather than to earn it. Beware of your schemes for money-making until you've taken time to think them over carefully. Rushing into anything will cause you to overlook its true possibilities. A Sagittarius woman will look best in sports clothes, and she can always wear jewelry to advantage. She should take care, however, not to overdress. And a Sagittarius man should look for the offbeat in fashions. 
he'll never be happy just following the crowd. Sagittarians almost always have a natural ability for study. Many brilliant students are born under this sign. You may find economics your favorite subject. If you were born a Sagittarius, you share the sign of Danny of the Mamas and Papas, Chris Hillman of the Birds, Keith Richard of the Rolling Stones, Andy Williams, Carl and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, and Chad Stewart of Chad and Jeremy. All right, Ed. I think, I don't know about you, but I think that that, it sounded like they were telling you to wear bright colors and uh, <laughs> offbeat did. clothes. So. It did. I don't know. I, I mean, you can wear offbeat clothes that are all black. Look at uh, David Rose from Schitt's Creek. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. I guess we should look at that. Or not, <laughs> as it were. Or Why, are they too offbeat for they're you? They're just too offbeat for me. Yeah, here. I figured. <laughs> Although I did love that monkey suit he was wearing while lay up in the field with a Mennonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it was like a hoodie or whatever, but it just looked like he was wearing a monkey costume. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> all right, Mare. Well... I love, I love that scene so much. When they show up and he's like sitting out in the field and Alexis is like, David, I need to tell you about Mutt. And he's like, what? And she's like, we slept together. And he's like, what? And they're like yelling this across this, this yeah. field. The farm girl looks disgusted. Amish person there and she's like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty good it's a good show damn good all right mayor all right dad so let me ask you a question okay if people wanted to uh write to us mm-hmm. how would they do so do they have to well now that we've now that you made them feel like they're a bunch of creepos <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if they want to but i would still like them oh to write. okay well if you want them to and I also want them to. They can go to sneakydragon.com and go to our contact us page yeah. where they can see the many ways they can contact us, including our email address, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, our Facebook, Sneaky Dragon, our Twitter, sneaky underscore dragon, our snail mail address, if you're interested in that. And on sneakydragon.com, you can also comment on our um, on each episode. Is that where Ed commented that thing yes that's where he requested his astrological reading there you go i hope you enjoyed that ed we were turning uh, into an astrology podcast that was for, that was for you <laughs> I, I was thinking about i was thinking to myself i wonder why people didn't more people didn't write in it do they not believe in astrology well that's fine but or they don't like fun i don't know what i, I don't know what it is or maybe they just thought it was dumb but anyway maybe or, they felt here's oh. the thing i thought though afterwards i thought yeah. you know what i bet you most people share our signs. Uh, that's what you thought? Yeah. Oh. Like, I think there's probably like a ton ton of Pisces that listen to this show already. So they're just like, eh, I already heard it. I doubt there's a lot of Virgos that listen to this show. Who knows? I don't think it's in our character. <laughs> well, you're, you're on it. <laughs> I, guess a, I guess that's a hint, everyone. Sure can tell when the show is getting near the end. <laughs> the knives come out. <laughs> All right. Well, I just have one thing, one more thing to say. Okay. What is that? Goodbye, Snoopy. <laughs> like that. Well, at least now I can leave. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.